Hello, everybody, and welcome to the MinMax Show, a place about games, friends, getting better. I'm Ben Hansen, joined by Surreal Vasquez. That's me. Hello. Hello, that is him. And Leo Vader. Hello, that is me. And a very special guest, old co-worker, friend of the show, returning to the podcast technically, Elise Favis. Hello. Hi. Welcome, Elise. It's uh, it's been a wild ride, I think, since we last talked to you. I think like you were in the studio the last time you were on the podcast, oh, right? Oh, man. That was before the pandemic and everything. Yeah. Before that everything. Was like, what, 2019? Probably. I think it might have been like that Christmas episode of 2019. Mm. But since then, you went to the Washington Post. I did. <laughs> you moved to Washington, D.C., You then decided to leave Washington, D.C. and the Washington Post to move back to Minneapolis. And what are you doing now? I'm working at Fanbyte. I'm their new features editor. I've just done, gosh, it's been like two weeks or something. Um, So it's still very new and fresh and fun. I love it so far. Yeah, that's amazing. And so Fanbyte, break down the, the cream of the crop. Who's the team over there that we should know? Man, well, Imran's over there. That's He's the right. editor. Um, you've got Danielle Riendo, who's the EIC. She came from uh, Waypoint um, and Polygon before that. Um, we've got some great writers like Fun K and Natalie and uh, Kenneth. Uh, anyway, just they're, they're a good, funky, weird group of people. Uh, and I mean this in a good way. <laughs> they're just like... Um, it is very much like a, a polar opposite environment to the Washington Post, I would say. And it's it's good. It's good. It's just like um, everyone's much goofier and funny um, and just has more freedom than I guess um, we did generally at the Post. Yeah. Yeah. So what was the thinking? Did you want to just leave Washington, D.C. or was Washington Post not what you were hoping for? Or what was the decision to to change the jobs? I mean, it was a, it was a mix of things. Um, I loved, I loved Launcher and I loved the crew there. Like they're doing really good stuff and they're going to continue to do really good stuff. Um, so it's not like there's like leaving on bad terms or anything like that. Um, but I think I always felt like it wasn't going to be a long-term job for me, Hmm. um, for a variety of reasons. It's a very demanding job. Um, and also I just, yeah, I did not like DC. I hated living there to be totally honest uh and the post is just not open to remote work so it was never possible to move and continue doing the job um and i was interested in moving into doing more editing than writing at this point so now i get to do that and i i love features and um i love like getting to help writers and stuff so yeah well that's awesome congratulations onward and upward we're very impressed if you can't tell from all of our faces we're all super impressed by you (laughs) That's what it looks like. I can't can't imagine that it helped that, you know, like one of the appeals of having a new job is like getting to see New City. And a lot of that was tampered by the fact that, you know. I mean, the pandemic was a huge, huge part of it, right? Right. It's like I moved there thinking, yeah, I was going to build something in some way, right? Not just my career, but also a life there. And that's obviously kind of impossible when everything is shut down and you can't even socialize with people. So, um, yeah. That put a damper on the situation, too, for sure. Yeah. Well, welcome back to Minneapolis. I hope uh, well, you've enjoyed you. your relocation, your rebuilding yeah, of a new stay. home. I hope you enjoy your stay in Minneapolis. <laughs> your long stay. I'm actually going back to D.C. now. I have mm, changed smart, my mind. Smart. Uh, well, we have you on because we got to talk Mass Effect. We know you're a big fan, so we got to talk about Legendary Edition. Uh, then yeah. we're going to be joined by a mysterious guest, uh, the Ghost of Christmas Past. He'll join us to talk about 
Castlevania on Netflix along with Serial, but no spoilers in there. But Serial, no. you were hell-bent on we need to talk about this show. People are not talking about this enough in a general yeah, sense. I, yeah, I, I'm really into it. I think we, people should watch it, and I will make my case. There it know, is. So will our secret guest. <laughs> it's going to be very exciting for everybody. It's very secret. It, it rhymes with Racula. Uh, and then we have some other odds and ends. And then back after the show, we have a bunch of community questions. People submitted over on Patreon, of course. So thanks for all those wonderful questions along the way. Uh, Mass Effect Legendary Edition, everybody. It's out. Uh, Leo and I have already talked about it for over three hours for the first part of The Deepest Dive. We have this huge community game club going on that's on our YouTube channel. But obviously, if you support us uh, on Patreon, you can unlock the podcast version of that full discussion. It's myself, Leo Vader, playing it for the first time. And then Sarah Almalay, voice actor from Anthem and Gone Home. And then uh, Joe Juba, who you might remember, Elise. Hey, Joe. Yeah, so it's a fun chat. So you can check that out for even more massive conversation. But uh, Elise, how much have you played of Legendary Edition so far? I just beat Mass Effect 1 last night. Wow. Very impressive. Uh, what do you think? What do you think about like the changes? Oh, man. Yeah. I, I think the changes are really good, honestly. I feel like um, the it's like the, there's a lot of gameplay changes that I didn't expect. And also um, the, the graphics look amazing. But generally, like it plays a lot better. The guns feel a lot better. Um, I like the new features, like the photo mode stuff. Um, yeah. It yeah. Is, it I is... think generally, like, the, the thing that I thought was sort of surprising was they really, at least, like, when marketing for this, they really pumped up this idea of the, the mock, like, the macro changes were going to be super significant. And, yeah. like, in my point of view, like, the macro just sort of seems the same, like, except those, like, additional thrusters that they added so you can move quicker. Like, it's still is a very clunky vehicle to navigate. Um, Having gotten to the Mako now, yeah, I can't, I don't have that much experience with the first one, but I can't believe that these are the fixed controls for it. Yeah, <laughs> it's weird. And I know that they consulted the community and stuff with a lot of these changes. Right. Um, so, yeah, I think that, like, I, I, it's not like a huge disappointment to me because I feel like there is sort of some charm to it. But considering how many side quests there are where you have to use like the Mako and go to all those kind of planets that still feel pretty barren and stuff. Right. It's just, I honestly skipped a lot of that. Cause I was like, okay, I've done this before. And <laughs> like the Mako still sucks. Like I'm not going to put myself through that. again. How dare you? I'm curious to go back and get to the point actually of driving the Mako around. Cause I was a Mako defender from way back and it's like, it's clunky, but that's kind of, part of the charm right and i think that's a lot of mass effect one is it's clunky but in a charming sort of way for people who are extremely nostalgic about it but leo we can debate that on the deepest dive whether clunk is good <laughs> yeah i actually like how bad it is <laughs> i mean am i alone yeah there's i mean there's so much nostalgia wrapped in there but that's like the big tension i think of going back and playing mass effect one is it is amazing that this is out like they finally did it i mean we had a podcast a while ago where we talked about you know, what we want from the game industry. And number one on that list was the Mass Effect remasters, being able to play it on, on new systems and everything. So hats off to Bioware and EA for getting this out the door. Super exciting to be able to have this all in one package. And then immediately your mind starts going to like, boy, I kind of wish they rebuilt the Citadel from the ground up. Like the layout of the Citadel Mass Effect 1 is still so weird. And so much of it is built on tech limitations that maybe aren't applicable anymore. But then if you rearrange everything, you have to redo the quest. And so it's such a slippery slope once you start messing with Mass Effect 1 in particular that I think they found a good sweet spot of like 
just smoothing a couple things, like adding sprint outside of combat, changing the leveling system a little bit, changing inventory a little bit, where I think a lot of people aren't even going to notice those things, but it's smart, subtle changes like that. Yeah, there are a lot of games, like a lot of seminal franchises that if you miss, it always feels like I should probably wait till they come around and make a remaster of it. Mm -hmm. And it's nice to have one of the most seminal and that I most missed have it be like, okay, there's no excuse not to not go back and play it anymore. Like now I have the definitive way to play it. Yeah. And it's exciting having it all in one $60 package. Yeah. Totally. I feel like so much of the Deepest Dive conversation, Leo, was me just crossing my fingers so hard they bled that we weren't annoying you because there's so much of Mass Effect to unpack, especially like a deceptive amount because for the first section of the Deepest Dive in Mass Effect 1, we're just talking about up until you leave the Citadel and we're not leaving anything beyond that or talking about anything beyond that or spoiling anything beyond that. But then you realize like, well, I mean, if you read the Codex, like you understand all the history of these alien species, which is like, the meat of Mass Effect that obviously is going to be stretched out and dissected and discussed for the next three games, you know? And so I was so worried that entire discussion that we were uh, just kind of turning you off from becoming a fan in and of yourself by blathering on about, like, the merits of the Solarians. It's like, ah, come on, man. (laughs) No, yeah, the more we got into that stuff, the more interesting it is. Like, I love a world that feels well-realized and the fact that there is so much to get into as far as like the history of it, it makes me more interested for sure. Did you go back then after our discussion and listen to the codex to try and soak some of that stuff in? Not yet, but I intend to. Okay. No judgment. That's I like totally how fine. the codex is still like has that fully voiced function to it. Um I just I just like sitting on my couch and just like soaking it all in. Yeah. It's just like there's so much otherwise it's just it would just be like a lot of reading, which is fine, but I, I just like the idea of just like kinda zoning out and whatever and just listening to this voice tell me all this interesting history of mass effect yeah it just puts you back in that zone just like you know the seeing the, you know uh just the title screen with the music it just immediately is like all right back in mass effect zone i remember the state of mind and just small things hit you so hard about just running around the normandy and being like oh my god i haven't talked to these people in so long i'm so excited to see dr chuck was again just like names that i haven't thought about for uh, about 10 years now it's been so long since totally. i've played this game and these games in general uh but it does just feel like reuniting with old friends and like we had so many comments for the deepest dive where there's a lot of people saying like oh i never played this originally and now i understand why people like bioware but like if you're kind of a young gamer, it's like Bioware, I guess some of their games are fine. But I mean, this game, Mass Effect 1 is from 2007. There's so many people that didn't experience it back in the day that now can go back and be like, oh, this writing is amazing. Now I understand why people love this era of Bioware. Uh, Serial, in the words of yeah. Dan Reichert and his father, would you keep it down over there? <laughs> No, yeah, I think it's interesting to see like both how it is a product of its time. Like there's a lot of conventions of video games circa like 2007 where it's like, oh, very clearly this was like a lot of the combat was inspired by things like Gears of War with like yeah. this kind of robust uh, cover system. And uh, but that, you know, fusing that with, you know, the Bioware like conversation systems and a lot of like the fixes to lighting, I think some people kind of find weird because it's like, oh, it's, this isn't how I remember it. But like you look at both of the side by sides and there's a lot of like, oh, this is very clearly like a 2007 lit and uh, like Unreal Engine game. And so like they were kind of beholden to that. And so this feels more like, uh, hey, this is what we wanted to do originally and, and couldn't because of the limitations of that. Um, but yeah, like I, I've been enjoying it as like, a, oh, this is this is not 
aged as much as I think, but there are also very clear signs of like, this is a video game designed around a decade ago. Like, uh, it's weird how little I'm used to like, uh, quests that are like, oh, you have to actually read the map and like learn like, okay, you need to go to the like, the CSEC the Academy in this particular thing. And like the quest marker isn't gonna immediately direct you there every step of the way. It's like, oh, right. I need to actually mem- like learn the layout of the Citadel to figure out where I'm supposed to go. Right. Uh, and whatever yeah. you do, don't yeah. hit back to bring up the map. That's just gonna make you take your weapons out. There's a lot of like those little yeah. quirks <laughs> that you have to kind of remind yourself, okay, get in the Mass Effect frame of mind. This is 2007, everybody. We gotta work with it. I, I- I definitely did miss waypoints while playing this game in, in several different sections. Even the, the ending section when you're going about to go against Saren. It's just like, oh man, like just trying to find my way around this like area. And you only know if you're going the right, like the right ways, if like enemies show up and you're like, okay, there's a combat encounter here. I'm going the right way. But yeah, I think it would have benefited maybe from just like a little bit more direction sometimes. Um, yeah. And I wonder if I you're great. Gonna- Oh, go ahead. That's something that it's like, yeah, it does feel outdated going back to it now. It's like an easy quality of life thing. But as it is, as it is going just past where we were deepest dive episode one and exploring Pharos is where I went first. I totally got lost and like I saw a point of interest on the map, but I couldn't really tell where exactly they were or whether I still had stuff to do at them. Like, is that why they were still marked on my map? Yeah. And I overshot it, but I like wasn't really... I, there's a super simple thing on that planet we'll talk about in the deepest dive that I missed and was stumbling around for 45 minutes because of. Oh, weird. Curious what that is. Yeah, it's like, you know, I'm very happy they released this. If you want to be a horrific cynic about it, it could be like, well, they could have reworked one even more, but like now they can have a little bit more of a runway for like a full remake of the trilogy in like 10 years and we'll all buy it over again immediately. Like even just keep the same voice acting and just kind of rebuild it from the ground up a little bit more and just kind of revolutionize a little bit more. I feel like Mass Effect 1 could use, but I still, it is amazing going through that. And like even outside of Mass Effect 1, I think this would be outside of Mass Effect 1. Like they still made plenty of small changes. Like they finally, uh, I guess this isn't, I guess this isn't a spoiler. They fixed Tally's face, <laughs> which is like a very interesting thing that has always been driving fans insane. So I think that was, yeah, Mass Effect 3, I guess it was, where they first gave you the option of seeing Tally's face. And it was, Leo, I do you remember like headlines from that? No. So what they did is it's like, you know, kind of a secret thing to finally get to see Tally's face. Um, hang on. It's Kuba Lady. Yes, the assassin, as you you put it on the deepest stuff. Um, But for her face, they just got a Getty image stock photo and then like just put a couple Photoshop tweaks on it. And so immediately people saw it and were like, what the hell is this? And then found the original stock photo of just like a woman in a field and people were just outraged. And that was like, you know, but in that era of 2012, Mass Effect 3 launched, everybody was just looking for weapons to use to attack Bioware because of the ending. That definitely was lumped in there where it's like, you couldn't even spend the time to model one of the most important characters' faces. You're out of your minds. Uh, But it's a different era. Like I haven't, maybe these thing pieces will come up when people get a little bit deeper, but like, Elise, have you seen any revisionist history on Mass Effect 3's ending with Legendary Edition? Are people talking about it yet? Not yet. I think it's also kind of early, right? Yeah. It's just what it came out late last week. Uh, people are still playing through it. Um, I think that'll come up in the next couple weeks, but yeah, I haven't seen a whole lot of that yet. A lot of people are just talking about Mass Effect 1 right now, and it's interesting to see people playing, re- either playing it for the first time or replaying it with kind of 
um, a different mindset, or at least like we're in a different era now, I guess, where like even politically, I think like it's interesting to go back to Mass Effect 1 and see a lot of people saying like, oh, yeah, Ashley is racist or xenophobic. And, you know, I think like that's been said before, but there's just more people talking about it Um, or even just me like playing I was playing Femshep and uh, romancing Liara. And at one point, some of the dialogue options were like, but you're an alien or like, but you're a woman. And I'm just like, yeah. this would totally not fly nowadays. Yeah, um, I, I would be it's very-, very interesting to see that kind of 2007 sort of um, different mentality. Back. Yeah, I feel like at the time it was very much treated as like, oh, this is like paying uh, like really great homage to things like Star Trek where it does feel kind of utopian in that like all the all the races have this council and like every kind of race is represented. And but like the thrust of that game, which I'd be curious to see, you know, like if they just released like the original Mass Effect today, what that the discourse around it would be like, because there's very yeah. much a like you know, and they explore this into with like the Cerberus stuff of like, you know, this, you know, humans, like we have to like move forward. We have to like kind of represent ourselves and, you know, the, the first human specter kind of thing and how much um, specifically like a lot of quests are based around, you know, like identifying uh, a lot of like, ra- like races by like essential features. Like when you're looking for tally, it's like, oh, you have to go find the Quarian. Everyone's talking about the Quarian in a way yes, that like, yeah. I think they would write that very differently now as like, okay, we like, let's cont- contextualize this around who she is and not like her race. Uh, and there's a lot of like conversations you're having with like Turians where it's like, well, like why are you a Turian? Why are you helping humans? As if like that is right. like unheard of. Um, mm. It's but like I would be curious to see what that game looks like now. But like at the time, it definitely felt like, oh, this is like a, they're talking about race in a video game. That's very interesting. Uh, so that that right. that has been like one of the more interesting things about going back to this now. Yeah, and I think that's when the game is about and the meat of the game is about, you know, uh, politics and racial politics in space. Yeah, how much of that can age versus just being that. 2007 interpretation of how these characters are addressing other ones and stuff yeah but it is definitely it's so fascinating to descend back into that world and try and relearn all of these tidbits going back through the codex and there's so many good lore details that i completely forgot about They're, they were so smart about just building up and differentiating all the different alien species in such a clean way yes overly simplistic and silly and star trekian at times but still i think it's so effective for just getting the message across about like here's what you need to know about thousands of years of history and political drama amongst all these different species and go right yeah i think the critics is really smart about which I think maybe a lot of people did not pick up on, on having a lot of backstory, but making that stuff relevant. Yes. And not just being like, oh, all these races have this history. We'll never, we're never bringing it up again. Whereas here, you know, you, you they mentioned like things like the first contact war between Turians and humans. And that is a thing that comes up in, in main quests where if you've read a lot of the codex, you'll see like, oh, that's that thing that, that, that I saw before. It doesn't feel like, here's just a bunch of like w- words that we wrote that have to do with this game, but are kind of in the back, don't really need to know. Yeah, yeah. Um, let's see, other things that stand out. I forgot how great the design of the Geth are. Like a lot of the art direction of the game is incredible, but like the Geth in particular, I'm like, God, that's such a cool looking design. I just love that it like, so cool. sleek yeah. head. I was thinking that too recently. I was oh, just good. like, 
they are very just like awesome looking and also they just they look up they look like they have very like strong sort of lady legs am i the only one that thought that where i was just like <laughs> they're known like, for yeah, their strong lady legs. legs well i mean the koreans yeah. also have like kind of striking legs and so maybe that was the idea is like since they designed them to you got to really make these notable legs in some way um let's see other things that stand out is many forget about just the legs just mainly <laughs> legs yeah i guess that's fair i had in my notes here legs for four pages right uh <laughs> one thing i think I, that i think has changed about me is how i take these games in i think it helps that this is my second playthrough of this series uh and that i don't feel as compelled to have the like uh, exposition filled conversations with people where it's like oh now tell me about this thing okay switching subjects tell me about this other thing where i'm more about like what would this conversation actually feel like uh, what would be the actual flow of this conversation if oh, i were having it quote unquote for real so i don't feel as compelled to like exhaust every dialogue option because i feel like i've become more of a player that's like i want to feel like i'm part of this world not like a tourist in it you know yeah are you trying to play the same way you played last time then surreal I mean, like I don't for your remember much about like specific choices other than like I, I romance talent. That's like the one of the few things I remember. But I've been trying to play more naturally. But I, I think a lot of it is like, oh, I remember this because it's come up, not because like, okay, I am very conscious about the choices that I'm making. So I'm just kind of playing it again. But I don't remember what I did before. Yeah, I'm trying to recreate my old path, which is really kind of sad to try and be like. I'm going to try and be the exact same person I was in 2009 when I played this for the first time or whatever. But like, I think I'm accidentally making a lot of the same decisions, which is a nice way of showing that, you know, I same. don't grow or evolve Actually. as a person. Yeah. 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 No, you- me, <laughs> me too, though. I've just been like, I, I, I basically made my fem shep the exact same way I made her the first time I ever, I gave her the same name and I'm just kind of like, all right, I want to do like a pure, like nostalgia playthrough um and so i'm just doing like full paragon and yeah i just i don't know i don't know why i was compelled to do that but it's just kind of like i guess it's because mass effect is my comfort food yeah and i was like this is the best way that i can just like sit down and enjoy this and just kind of like also think back to like the first time i played and what that was like and um stuff like that yeah uh leo you might hate the series by the end of the first game i guess we don't know yet but what do you think the odds are of you going through the full trilogy this year they feel pretty good i mean honestly the fact that i'm going to beat one i can't fall off of one and then i've heard such amazing things about two that yeah. i'll absolutely get a few hours into two and hopefully it'll grip me like based on what i like about mass effect one if mass effect two is that but even better some people say and with better combat then i'll be on board for finishing it for sure i will make a bold claim uh i bet you will be hook line and sinker in the first 30 minutes of mass effect 2 it is i think one of the strongest openings of any game ever it is so freaking good yeah, it's <laughs> really good oh i'm excited just thinking about it but look we have mass effect 1 to discuss and that's all happening on the deepest dive which again is on our youtube channel min max show uh and you can unlock the podcast version uh by supporting us on patreon and you can submit a comment for us to read as well if you support us at any tier over on patreon so for the next discussion which is uh let's see we're looking for your comments on may 31st we're going to be covering uh, artemis tau novaria and pharos so those big three objectives in any order, we'll be talking all about those and side quests on the galaxy map, stuff like that. But even though Vermeyer is going to open up before you finish this section, don't go to Vermeyer yet. So just focus on Artemis Tau, Novaria, and Pharos, and then we'd love to read your comments on the deepest dive from Mass Effect. So help us create the best, most sort of discussion about the game on the internet. Um, Elise, do you remember working with that guy? Um, 
he had like red hair. Oh, even Kyle. That's Kyle. it. Oh yeah, Kyle Hilliard. Welcome, Kyle. Hi. Welcome to the big show. Uh, you're on with your old coworker, Elise. What up? Hey, Elise. Wait, do I look hey. up? Is that? Uh, yeah. Sure. Look up. I'm over there. Hi. <laughs> Let's treat it like that. Uh, good to see you. <laughs> it's good to see you. It's Did you while. know that Elise can like play piano and sing? I like oh, learned no. this Kyle. recently. I know that she can sing because she sang for Game Informer the musical during Extra Life, and she was the only person that sang during those uh, hilarious skits uh, that was actually a good singer. It was like, you know, it's like we ask people to sing thinking it'll be funny for the community because we're all going to be terrible, like, you know, myself or a Joe Juba. I ruined it. And then Elise comes in and is, and it's just like a songbird in there. It was absurd. <laughs> That's a good Elise impression, by the way. That's exactly what my voice sounds like. If anyone wants to know what I sound like when I sing, that's good. You nailed it. Right or Elise in the shower, just <laughs> la di do da, just very classic, yeah, good old cartoon it. stuff. Yeah. Animals flying in through the windows. Disney princess yeah. How did you learn this, Kyle? She posted a video on Facebook of her, like, or it was just an audio clip. I don't remember, but I was like, yeah, it just. It was I was like, clip. whoa! I didn't know this. <laughs> that's amazing because I think there's. Yeah, a, I. I I recently, well, no, it's like a few months ago now, but I bought a piano keyboard with like MIDI functions so they can just be plugged into my computer and I can like mix music and stuff. It's been a very fun hobby and like cool thing to learn how to do. Um, so, yes. Yeah, so let's I, monetize I, I, it. Get on that. Hell yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I've been playing piano. I, I took piano lessons as a kid. Um, That's awesome. And yeah, just kind of getting back into it. It's been fun. That's great. It. And I think I there's, a, there's a big gap between it. technically being able to sing and technically being able to play piano and then like feeling confident enough to like, I'm going to go ahead and post this on the internet. So congratulations on making that leap. I'm sure that's not the I coziest nervous, thing. I was nervous, but yeah. Yeah. But then it turns <laughs> out everybody loves you showing off your special abilities. It's, it's the way yeah. to go. You play piano. Leo talks about ketchup on YouTube for 18 minutes. Everybody has their own ones. special yeah. thing. Yeah. Yeah. Leo, did you grow up uh, learning ketchup? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I took lessons for a long time. For sure. Hey, Kyle. Uh, you are also dead set on talking about the Castlevania TV show without spoiling yeah. season four because you two are totally right that like when it first dropped for the first season people were like this is actually pretty good it's kind of cool it's like based on Castlevania 3 and like with a lot of streaming shows Netflix shows like nobody talks about seasons 2, 3, and 4 but season 4 is the finale is that the way it's phrased? Yeah they're they're planning on doing what they do with a lot of Netflix shows, I think, which is they're continuing Castlevania, but with a different series, I think, so people can feel like, oh, I can pick it up from here instead of having to go back and, you know, through all the seasons. But yeah, this is, fourth season is kind of like the culmination of this particular storyline. Okay, and yeah. and where are you two at on it now? I mean, I, we, I, I think, I, I'd have to kind of think about it, which I have been. I don't think there's been a better adaptation of a video game into a, a different medium you know what i mean whether that's film or tv show or, or book i haven't read a lot of video game books maybe those halo books are amazing i don't know but like i think i and i'm curious what you think too serial but i don't i don't think there's been a better like use of let me look at this video game property let me take some things that are cool about it and recognizable from the video game but actually craft something really new and unique and interesting with it you know yeah, I, I, I'm definitely with you in that. I think this is like the best video game adaption uh, of anything. But like, I, and you don't necessarily have to qualify it because I think there are people who really like that first Mortal Kombat movie. 
uh, as like being, oh, it's like a fun, cheesy thing. But it it also it almost feels like a little patronizing of like, oh, this is like a cute kind of like endearing thing. But it's like if you actually take that stuff seriously, it's kind of like this is having fun with it. Whereas I think Castlevania feels like it is doing right by the material in a way that is really surprising because it's Castlevania has a lot of lore, but I don't know that it, uh, before this series, I was like, that is a fantastic, you know, world and, you know, full of rich characters and, and a fantastic history. And I think this actually does a lot to suss out why it's actually really cool. Yeah. So it's yeah, kind of they like, I think the thing that they do, I was trying to like sing, like sort of like put it down into like, what are the core things? It's like, I think they looked at it. They're like, okay, vampires. Let's think about what it's like to be an immortal person. Mm-hmm. And they sort of examine that a lot, and it's really interesting. And then the other thing is, like, there's hundreds of different types of monsters in Castlevania. W- you know, what what is that about? Is there, there There's a person that creates these monsters, right? Like, what's their deal? You know, and then you also get cool action sequences of fighting all those monsters. And there's, like, legitimate, like, interesting pathos to this person whose life has been devoted to creating monsters for Dracula and everything that he's had to go through. And it's, he has an awful life and it sucks. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. And like the, the, the castle, the, the Dracula thing from season one, I think is one of the better things they do in that of like presenting why is ca- like, I, they didn't have to do it. Cause like you could just say Dracula is a bad guy and, and just have that be like the whole discussion. But like the, the, the backstory they built for Dracula in this, in this series, I think is really, really strong. And um, the thing that I think really stands out about season four in particular, uh, which like, I, I again, don't want to spoil anything, but it's, I think season four is where they start thinking most about um, like less adapting the storyline of any one game and kind of exploring this, the themes of the series as a whole as like having, okay, this is a long running thing. This is a like, you know, uh, a, a marathon, not a sprint in terms of like w- how these games build on each other in terms of like being a history. And I think like the themes that that season four is able to pluck out of that uh, in terms of like, oh, uh, good is like, good means something different uh when it when it is about you know continuing versus like oh we did this thing that would be the plot of a game we like we know we won or whatever that's the end like roll credits i think like in season four i think this explores like what happens after that after like this climactic event happens and people are kind of left with to pick up the pieces and and figure out what they do with their lives i think that that's a really strong uh storyline and it's like the thing that if someone were to make a zelda adaptation i think i would trust this team to do it Mm. because they feel so smart about like let's not look at any one game like let's use one game as inspiration but like let's use that as a jumping off point for like what are the themes and you know philosophical you know underpinnings of like this series as a whole and that's what i really like about this particular season yeah and i know the animation studio they're also working on the upcoming he-man series for uh netflix but of course that has the showrunner of kevin smith which everybody saw coming so it might have a completely different tone um yeah well i and that that studio is they've done a lot of stuff for netflix now and there's that old sort of anime thing which i always appreciated where it's just like they don't spend money on the dialogue but they do spend money on the action sequences and like i feel like that's never been more apparent with Castlevania because it is a lot of just static characters having interesting conversations without moving around too much and then the action sequences are like insane like the action sequences totally change the style and it's really cool huh yeah as someone who has never played Castlevania would this be interesting to like to a newcomer basically 
Yeah, I think it does a yeah, pretty good job of introducing so. you to like a lot of the concepts because like they start with like, okay, why is Dracula a bad guy, right? Like, you know, what's his whole deal? So it does feel pretty good at uh, at like introducing you to like the the world in a way that it might actually be disappointing if you actually played any of the games because that yeah. stuff is always so cursory really? in background of like you run into a shopkeeper and it's like oh you know they're gonna say something about oh yeah Dracula is really messing with us and then like okay that'll that's kind of the story until the end basically um but yeah they do yeah, really I mean there's, there's a character named Alucard you know from Symphony of the Night there's a character named Belmont but I mean otherwise it's like oh I recognize that monster yeah it'll that's be like about it you yeah, it, it was really fun, like, seeing, like, oh, this just looks like some, like, a collection of random limbs. Like, I can't believe someone would make that. Oh, that's an actual bad guy from Castlevania. Like, so you'll see that stuff. <laughs> okay. uh, like, so, like, if you've played the series, like, you'll recognize those references. Um, but I, I do think you can dive into this without having played any of the games. I think it is, it is, yeah. Totally. Yeah, and uh, yeah. you mentioned Zelda. Uh, Clint Farley, just to get to community question early, asked, with the success of Castlevania Netflix, which video game property would you want to see get the animated series treatment? Animated series. Yeah, I think yeah, I think Zelda would be a pretty interesting one if done this way of, like, let's not just, you know, let's not adapt the plot of, uh, like, just Ocarina of Time, but, like, you know, what does that look like when you connect it to Wind Waker? You're like, what are those threads that are that kind of tie those two games together? I think that would be super cool to think about, you know, not just one game but like the entire series i think would be pretty cool you know that might be a fun place to sort of dive into dead space as well mm. since Ooh. it's kind of like languishing like i i would yeah. almost rather see something like that than zelda because zelda's a little too precious i don't think nintendo would be willing to take their hands off of it mm. and let someone run with it like what they were able to do with castlevania you know well there was that weird rumor that they were going to make a netflix series but then it the news about it broke and then nintendo said ah eh, never mind because it broke we're canceling the Entire People production know about of the show. it now. Yeah, but fun. who knows if that was actually real along the way. But It's like the Tarantino yeah. approach, right? My script leaks. You guys don't get to see the movie now. All right, fine. <laughs> actually, I'll make I'm Hateful Eight, but it's in 70 millimeter. Yeah. It'll be very hard to see in select theaters. Um, maybe, like, you know, stay in the Konami train. I know it's also precious. I don't know if it's Zelda precious, but, like, I would take an anime Metal Gear Solid. Like, I would take an animated oh, yeah. version of that full story. They have a season for each game. I feel like they could really do amazing things, kind of focusing that story down a bit. And they yeah. seem Maybe. like they don't care. Like, Konami wouldn't know enough to put their hands on it. <laughs> you, <laughs> you, know? you don't have to make a game? All right, do it. It could be a very wacky, like, Resident Evil anime. Right. Well, they yeah. are making, like, yeah. 14 different versions of it, right? I think they are making Resident Evil for are they Netflix. Netflix. Yeah. yeah. There's a CG movie okay. coming to Netflix, but it looks very self-serious. Like, Resident sure. Evil, like... That's us. Is, like, in those... I feel like I you can't really those... take Resident Evil lore too seriously. It's much more fun if they go, like, kind of loosey-goosey with it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and that's another thing I like about Castlevania is, like, I think and maybe Serial uh, disagrees with me, I'm just going to assume, but I think, like, the Richter character is, like, genuinely funny. And, like, has actual, like, lines that made me laugh pretty hard, you know? Because he's just, he's just a screw-up. <laughs> yeah. Who happens to be very good with a whip, you know? Wait, are you talking about the, the protagonist of the anime series? Or, like, just the, yeah. the character of Richter? Because that's Trevor. Oh, I'm, I'm Trevor Belmont. The Belmont, yeah. you know? The yeah. whip guy. <laughs> Mr. Whip, whip, they call him. <laughs> Sounds like stunning drama. Um, Kyle, did you, uh, <laughs> did you see the news today about Batman Cape Crusader? Yeah, I was just reading about that with Bruce Timm and stuff like that, and J.J. Abrams, right? And also, yeah, Matt Reeves is directing the Batman. So this, yeah. it's weird because there was the rumor that broke a while ago that like they're resurrecting Batman in the animated series for HBO Max, and this seems to be that project, except it's called Batman Cape Crusader, and it's going to be an HBO Max and the Cartoon Network, and the 
art looks a little bit different. Like the one image they released, Batman's got big old ears. So if you're really into that, like the old like old school ears, kind of yeah, like kind of that '40s thing. And they said, I think like Matt Reeves, one of his quotes was saying that they wanted to get back to like the noir focus of Batman, of kind of early Batman stories. But as a huge yeah, animated series fan, you're gonna dive into that sucker. Yeah, I think so. I mean, Bruce Tim Batman animated show is like, okay, I'll watch the first episode. Let's see where this goes for sure, you know. How much of it uh, was Bruce Tim versus Paul Dini? Like I always associate Paul Dini as but he was just kind of the writer whereas Bruce Tim um, was kind of the showrunner, is that the breakdown? You know, I don't know the specifics, but I think Tim was more of the artist and like the literal okay. design like he designed that specific look for Batman and he, you know, he created Harley Quinn. That's like his big claim to fame is like he right. created Harley Quinn for the show and stuff. So, yeah, I don't know. That's a good question. I think I would assume Dini was more of like a writer, you know, writing dialogue and stuff like that. And I think Tim was more in charge of like the visual direction, but I'm sure they overlapped uh, in a lot of ways. Yeah, yeah. Seems cool. Although the J.J. Abrams produ- like producer stamp, I think it's just on half of media release these days. So like I wouldn't get too excited about that. I think Bad Robot is just throwing out a lot of money or receiving a lot of money. How does a production company it, work? It's both know. actually. Yeah. Oh, is it? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> God, where was it? There was some interview that I heard. Oh, what was it? I forget. Where it was somebody talking about pitching to Bad Robot the Portal film that they said they wanted to write it. And they talked about like, you know, because a long time ago, they announced that Bad Robot was going to be making adaptations of just Portal, Kyle. Do you remember the details? It was like a weird, ambiguous Valve relationship. Like they ended up doing that... um what was the movie about the monster and the train crash? Uh, super eight, super eight. Yeah, there's like a and there's like a super eight little ten minute thing you can it's like play an interactive in thing of the yeah. train crashing. Which yeah, was like neat. It was <laughs> a weird way to tie it in, but yeah. Anyways, this writer was talking about like yeah, just the portal of film production was going nowhere. They couldn't quite crack exactly how to do it, which is understandable. Um, yeah. Do you think J.J. Abrams has a Steam account? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I, no, yeah. totally. I think so. I think he's Epic think Games he's... only. <laughs> <laughs> Dork. JJ Abrams announces he's exclusive customer to the Epic Games store. <laughs> Kyle, did you see that uh, that NBA crossover for Fortnite they announced? The what the like basketball? Uh yeah, basketball's invading the world of Fortnite, sir. Oh, finally. Okay, good. Honestly, I swear uh, to God, I'm, I, this I, is like... I didn't. I've been... The Batman stuff's exciting, and Beast Boy's in there now, which is very exciting for my kid, but uh, I didn't see the NBA stuff, no. But, okay, yeah, since you're so glued in on Fortnite and your daughter plays a lot, genuinely, it all comes down to this. Do you think that the NBA being incorporated into Fortnite will motivate your daughter in any way to, like, pick up a basketball? No. No chance. No, I could I could see that. Like honestly, if I was, like, I was really into Fortnite as a kid, and suddenly like the NBA invaded it, I would absolutely pay more attention to the NBA. Counterpoint? I guess I don't know. I'm trying to think of an example. I mean, there's probably like there were probably like commercials with Ninja Turtles playing basketball or something when I was a kid. Well, that didn't sway no, me. No, I mean anyway. the obvious hey, example. Yeah, those guys got me into pizza. <laughs> oh, there that, we go. You know, pizza was big for pizza. me when I was a kid. I got to admit, <laughs> big pizza got in that big messaging pizza guy right here. No, but honestly, Kyle, if your daughter asks you about LeBron James or Steph Curry, what are you going to say to her? Like, how? What is your explanation of NBA players to your daughter? Um, let's Google it together, honey. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
<laughs> but I mean, don't you think that you got more into basketball because of Space Jam? Uh, no, I oh. never got into basketball. <laughs> I have to Google who basketball is. <laughs> exactly my point. Game set match, as they say in the in the big old court of by, courts. By I got more into basketball. I meant that I googled Steph Curry <laughs> or, or Michael Jordan. You could say I'm pretty into basketball. <laughs> Um, all right. Well, hey, Kyle, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, how's your life going in general over there? Uh, good. I'm replacing a car battery this afternoon. Really jazzed about right. that. That sounds be fun. fun. Be careful I'm with that battery. Returnal. Uh, got you. If you want the latest, Kyle's still playing Returnal update. It's uh, it's still happening. I'm getting kind of hung up on that uh, fifth biome, but man, we're making progress. We got two of the three keys, a couple runs. Things are happening. Congratulations. We're all really impressed. All right. Uh, do you want to go ahead and clap out of here, dude? Yeah. Bye. Bye. Who is it? Chris Logan is screaming in the backstage pass. Surreal, mm-hmm. is that the Street Fighter Cross Tekken coin bank behind you? Oh, yeah, it is. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Deep cut. Yeah, I've loved it. It came with like the collector's edition back in like 2012, I think is when that game came out. But I've actually, one thing I've kind of low-key wanted to do is replace the cabinet art for it. Because I, I like the idea of this. I'll bring it close to the camera and knock my thing over. But, like, it's like this arcade coin bank. Yeah. So you could technically put any arcade art on it. So I kind of wanted to find see if there was a way to re- replace it with another game. Yeah. Um, but I think this is a pretty cool uh, coin bank thing. What game would you replace it with? I don't know yet. I would li- I would like to find, like some sort of uh, authentic cabinet art and just map it to stickers and stuff and then replace it with that. But maybe Street Fighter 3, Capcom versus SNK2, something like that. that seems or maybe like just, choice. you know, a jackal machine or something. Yeah. Some weird thing. Hey, Leo, do you know how this whole thing operates? Huh. It goes a little something like this. P-A-T-R. I know, we got to come up with a jingle at some point. Uh, <laughs> Patreon.com slash MinMax with two ends. Uh, wonderful people support us over there at any tier, even the $2 tier, where they can compete in Trivia Tower and they get access to the wonderful community Discord. Uh, Chris Logan, actually, who's watching us on the Backstage Pass Live, uh, he recently sent a message to the Discord where he's like, I had no idea that Discord is like where the heart of MinMax is. <laughs> I think it is like listening to this podcast, it's very much the tip of the iceberg. Like that community in the Discord is is the core of this engine and i understand discord is intimidating to some people but it's you can use it in your browser you don't even have to download anything it is literally a link away from just being i promise swarmed by invites and messages of welcome uh, if you go in the discord so thanks to everybody who supports us and jumps in there we appreciate it um surreal do you hear that sound I, I do, but I would prefer that you explain it. I will explain it to you. That's the sound of Rainmaker. This week, MinMax is once again supported uh, by our friends over at Rainmaker.gg. Rainmaker is the all-in-one platform for streamers, developers, and publishers. If you're a streamer, Rainmaker gives you insight on your channel's performance and a full suite of streaming tools, including overlays, tipping services, chatbots, alerts, and more. For devs and publishers, Rainmaker provides powerful tools that help you analyze game performance and discover creators on the world's biggest streaming platforms. So head to Rainmaker.gg MinMax or hit the link in this episode's description to get started. Also, thanks to our friends at Fixture Gaming. Uh, they want y'all to know about the Fixture S1, the Pro Controller Clip. Uh, I don't know if you've seen this thing, Elise, but it's very cool. So you take the Nintendo Switch Pro Controller, and then it's like a clip that you just snap onto the top of it very easily, and you can slide the Switch screen onto that. So you have like a handheld way to play Switch, but using the Pro Controller instead of those 
dirty, gross, thin, weird Joy-Cons on the side. And things. Yeah. yeah. Right. But, but they yeah. want everybody to know that you can go to Amazon or on the official Fixture Gaming website to check out the gray or red slash blue options for the Fixture S1. It is $35, but you get $5 off if you use the promo code MINMAX. Promo code MINMAX, two ends, of course, to get five bucks off the Fixture S1. Definitely check it out. It's a, a very cool way to play handheld Switch games. Uh, and there's a link below to learn even more. Also, thanks to the Call Me By Your Game podcast. There's at least one video game that's close to your heart from an impactful, specific moment in your life. Call Me By Your Game is a podcast that dives into these very experiences. It's an intimate look at what makes video games special for different people. On each episode, our host, Connor McCabe, sits down with a guest to discuss a special game from their past. They dive into what the guests loved about the game and also what was memorable about the time in their life when they first fell in love with it. Check us out wherever you get your podcasts, and maybe someday you'll call me by your game. Serial, they have an episode up. A recent one, all about Resident Evil 5, which I know you're very partial to. Yeah. I'd be curious to see what discussions about that game are now. Yeah. Very similar to a Mass Effect situation where it's like, I wonder if this holds up. I remember really liking it. I would be curious to go back to it. Yeah, well, I'm sure they talk about it. Uh, also, thanks to our friends at I Am 8-Bit for being huge supporters of MinMax. They want everybody to know that you can get the Manifold Garden soundtrack on vinyl in the wonderful I Am 8-Bit online store right now. It is a double album with stunning architectural pop-up, and the album art is by The Fourth Focus. And it's a limited edition. They only have 1,000 of these available, so you can go get that sweet vinyl soundtrack. The music is by Larissa Okada. And, of course, the vinyl soundtrack includes the digital download. And for everything in the I Am 8-Bit wonderful online store, or you can get 10% off if you use the promo code TAXDAY. All one word, TAXDAY for 10% off, and that's every order under $100. And Elise, because I'm 8-Bit, is so generous. Every single episode of the podcast, they volunteer out of the kindness of their hearts to ship out a wonderful prize from their online store to somebody from the MinMax community who submits the finest question. So I need you to help remember which is the best question. We will award it with the question of the week, and then that person will win uh, the Untitled Goose Game Lovely Edition, the physical version of Untitled Goose Game on the PlayStation 4. So please look forward to that. So really pay attention, Elise. We need to make sure we choose the right person here. Okay. Okay, great. First, community question. Submitted over on Patreon every single week. Uh, this person is Lucy Yearwood, and she says, Yay, Elise. Good question. Oh, well, yes. Yay. Thank you. <laughs> yes. yeah, I'm going to note this Very one good. to bring up later. And now for the smoothest transition, Lewis Kane submits a question over on Patreon. And says, hey team, with the recent issues over the weekend with the takedown of multiple stories with links to aid and charities for Palestine from IGN and Game Informer, what do you all think about this overstepping and suppression from big companies over their publications in this way? In addition to the relative silence of the outlets and complete brushing past uh, the deletion of the articles. I can imagine that seeing this from a viewpoint as an independent outlet with ties to GI in particular, you'd be glad you're no longer subject to issues like this in terms of freedom to report, etc. Yeah, I think that's a, a correct way of putting it there, Lewis. Um, kind of a leading question. Yeah. Serial, uh, <laughs> you seem to have some strong opinions on this saga. Maybe, we, okay, here, let's give a, a brief rundown first sure. of the history of the Middle East. Yeah. No, let's give like a brief rundown of like what happened. From my perspective, it seemed like the ball started rolling with Tamar Hussein over at GameSpot on Friday posting a video just being like, hey, I uh, just am begging everybody to, please pay attention to what's happening uh, in the Middle East right now and to the suffering of Palestinian families over there. Um, basically, just 
pay attention, support if you can. Here's some some charity right. links for some humanitarian yeah, aid. Yeah, there, there's a lot of context in that. Like you know, recently, I'll, I think a lot of gaming outlets have been more vocal about you know uh, their support about you know various political kind of issues. Like you know, Black Lives Matter was a huge thing last year, obviously. Um, so Timur was kind of uh, frustrated by kind of the lack the the lack of outpouring of support. Yeah. For you know the the current kind of. Uh, attacks that are that Palestinians are currently suffering at the hands of Israel and so like he was saying like hey you know we've we've been more we've been more advocates I think than we have been in the past why aren't we doing it for this particular issue and I think that has sparked a lot of conversations you know like you know kind of funny for example kind of started leaning more into it yeah you know at least fanbite uh you know has has had a support kind of post of like hey here's where you can do uh, help you know with various charities and so like when this started happening you know major outlets you know IGN GameSpot Game Informer all posted kind of like hey here's where here are some charities you can donate to to help relief efforts for Palestinians which was uh, Friday or Saturday when IGN read their logo mm-hmm. in the color of the pa- Palestinian flag right. and had like the links for like hey here's how you can actually uh, support some you know children's relief fund and stuff like that um, which yeah. was definitely when I saw that I was like oh my god like that is a bold move like that that really stands out as changing a lot of people's minds and yeah you know yeah to be fair to ign it's like that definitely turned a lot of heads and had a, basically the entire gaming community be like oh okay we will pay attention to this like it really had a big splash yeah and i think that you know for for them i'm sure like it was not it was definitely a thing i'm guessing they talked about right but it felt like more in line with you know hey we've been doing this for other issues and you know like whether or not they were affected by tumor's video like yeah we've been doing this for all sorts of other things let's do it for this one as well uh but obviously that that have proved to be somewhat of a of a third rail because like you know over the i think it was like on sunday that the post got taken down and one you know like the one in the morning i think central uh i think for us uh i think on the, you know that sunday night i think they ign posted a statement on their media accounts saying like hey we, we we took down the post we apologized you know like we didn't want we wanted to make a more neutral kind of uh effort of support um but you know a lot of the that that was done without the consultation of editorial uh and right. you know like that was done by management whether it was ziff davis or ign management or j2 global which is their parent company um which uh, you know rightly frustrated a lot of the editors there and it you know that post being taken down also as a quick note the game informer post was also taken down and there right. hasn't been um any like real statement from them uh from uh, after that post was taken down uh so it, in the aftermath i think a bunch of the ign editors posted this open letter to management saying like uh, Here's you, did, like, you you did this without our our consent uh and we would like to have an all hands meeting that where we discuss how we're gonna you know what a relationship is between editorial and management and for that post to come back up because it, it, you know them doubling down that support for that post i think has been really hurting to see and obviously a lot of people have been supporting those efforts so yeah and that i i i think i speak for all of us when when i say that we express our solidarity with those efforts for the IGN people to retain their editorial autonomy. oh of course and sure. game informer even though that's been a little bit quieter and we don't know mm-hmm. the full details of exactly what happened there and why that post was taken down um but yeah so yeah the official ign statement here uh just for the opening says yeah we the undersigned employees of ign are appalled by the recent management decision to subvert our editorial autonomy and remove our post directing aid to the palestinian sur- civilians suffering a humanitarian crisis in gaza the west bank and jerusalem um it is a big story and i don't has there been any rumblings since this of where the ign employees are at 
I, think I don't some, think so. Oh, yeah, go ahead, Syria. I think a couple of reporters have mentioned like, hey, there has been some rufflings about, you know, like uh, Per Schneider, who is who's part of IGN's management, mm-hmm. has made some state. Uh, well, I don't think if he's made it like a statement, but I think there has been some reporting that like, hey, we we hear you. Uh, we're working on on things to you know to help you out, but there hasn't been like a you know there hasn't been like an official statement from management reacting to their open letter yet. Right. Um, yeah. It, it it's interesting to me because I feel like I I'm with Serial in the sense that like it it made sense for IGN to to post this in the first place because they've done this kind of thing in the past and they have become you know sort of more politically minded or at least are becoming more advocates for certain political issues. So it made sense. Um, I was more surprised that the post was actually taken down and that this whole you know crisis happened. And I think it's it's good to note too that this is very rare. Like for something like this to happen is is bad. It's it's very bad for journalism. It's very bad for like editorial autonomy. And it we need to talk about it. But it is extremely unusual at the same time. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I mean, you meant you compared it to Black Lives Matter, and I think. I mean, who knows what the public polling would be for like pro or con Black Lives Matter. And it's like, I think this one would be maybe not 50-50, but closer to that end of the spectrum than Black Lives Matter. It's like, yeah, it seems like a universal message. Of course, we can get behind it. Of course, there's a million debates happening in the exact extent of that right. and definitions and groups and all that stuff beyond that. But this was definitely one of those things where, like that really feels like a, a bold move to take right now in 2021 in America. Yeah, especially because it does feel like, you know, the, the underlying conflict there, it can always seem so like complicated and messy. Obviously, there's a lot of history to that conflict. But I, I think that, you know, for for our sake, you know, for our part, you know, the, the U.S. is one of the one of Israel's biggest allies. So I think we do, you know, like for for better or worse, like we are funding, you know, uh, some of the military aid there. Right. Uh, so so it's not like we're completely like, well, that's that, that, that's someone else's problem. And we just happen to be supporting one side or the other. It's like we are more directly involved in this conflict than you would think. And so uh, I think that it is not, you know, out, out of place for us to have opinions, to be able to, t- to talk about this and, you know, to support like support people who are suffering in this case. I, right. I think it's important, too. And I think like. We've seen a lot more, you know, we, we've seen video game companies, but also like personalities in this space just become advocates for these kind of issues. And they're using their platforms, right, to, for, for charities or just to at least spread awareness or education, right. um, which I don't think we would have seen even three years ago. I think that's just changed very quickly. And I think also like the Black Lives Matter movement especially has helped people want to do this more and feel like it's important to speak up um and it's just interesting to see that landscape change um Mm -hmm. personally and also as someone who is a former like washington post reporter it's it's interesting to look at the games press versus the mainstream press and how like it's very different with in those two situations where as a a Washington Post reporter, I'm not, I was not allowed to say anything political on social media. Mm. I mean, that's just was against social media policies. Right. Um, and so now I, I can, but um, it's very interesting because like, <laughs> you know, especially like journalistic institutions, something like the Washington Post that's been around for like a hundred years is they're not able to put something out like this, that the games press can sometimes i mean we're seeing like obviously pushback from that now from corporations and like their parent companies and stuff but 
it's interesting because you don't see that from mainstream media, I guess was what I'm saying. And yeah. there are certain restrictions and certain policies that keep that from happening for better or worse um, because of political bias. And the games press has more freedom, you know, like reporters or, you know, personalities in space just as their own people can talk about it on their own platforms. And then um, the games press can sort of like rewrite the rules or at least find a way that it works, um, which is interesting to see. So I feel like this, this blowback that IGN is experiencing is just, I mean, it's really unfortunate, but it's interesting. And it's, it's, I don't know. Um, I guess I'm just trying to say that like, there is more freedom in games press that like, we don't talk about that much. Um, and it's interesting to see that kind of like, that, 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 that's not, but there are still restrictions there as well, I guess. Yeah. Right. I, I think that it is interesting. Uh, I, I don't know that I've like mulled my full thoughts on this to see something like I think that the natural reaction to seeing a post like that on a site like IGN is to say like, well, that's not your purview, like, like totally. you know, kind of staying in your lane, stick to covering games. Right. Um, but it is interesting to see that like the the outlets for which this is their purview, like things places like The Washington Post, they're 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 they are bound in some sense by the idea that they have to remain neutral, whereas because it is specifically not our purview, we have like game outlets have, you know, this ability to say like, hey, by the way, we also we support these efforts. You know, we support relief for Palestine, things like that in a way that that uh, uh, other outlets cannot. So in, in some sense, like we have more agency to do something about it than than, you know, outlets for which this would be their purview. Right. So I think that that is an excellent use of of, of a platform like that. Yeah, there's, uh, yeah, there's a lot, a lot to unpack here, and just trying to think about, I don't know, I it just it struck me as so interesting that it's like it was a link, a series of links to a bunch of humanitarian causes like Children's yeah. Relief Fund. You know, if it yeah. was a link to like, hey, let's help fund rockets for Hamas. Like, I understand yeah. that's a little more yeah. controversial, but just like seeing that's like, ah, no, we got to kill these humanitarian aids because it's kind of bringing up an issue that we yeah. don't Yeah, that's what was so wild to me. Like, I don't think there was anything in the, in the you know, article that was like, we stand in solidarity with, you know, everyone suffering in Palestine or anything. It was just like, there's this humanitarian crisis that's happening and these are links um, where you can donate and, and help. I just, I don't understand what's wrong with yeah. that. I think it shows how much of a third rebel issue like the, you know, the, the Israel versus Palestine conflict has felt like. And sure. I think that there, there are still people, especially, you know, people who would be higher up at, you know, corporation management, right? To say like, oh, like uh, the, you are not allowed to post anything that has to do with Israel slash Palestine, right? Like, I, think, I think there are a lot of people who are still in that mindset, um, but it definitely feels like this is the least that I think an, an outlet would be able to, like should have done in when they have a platform like this. And it's like, hey, we are affected by this. We feel passionate about it. People on our staff are being affected by this. So let's post like links to help people. And people are just, just see the topic of Palestine and say like, that is that is off top, like, that is like off limits. Uh, so I think it it is good to see like people rallying in support behind IGN and saying like, you should have been able to post that if you wanted to. Yeah. Uh, Leo, what's the what's the next step here? Do you think we hear anything ever again? Is it just some tweets from IGN editors down the road being like, we technically had a meeting, but whatever. Yeah, I mean, I hope something comes of it, but I feel like from my experiences with trying to get corporate's attention or whatever, I just feel like it's going to be very easy for corporate to have made this decision and 
put off talking about it until it's forgotten. Yeah. I think that's the most likely yeah. thing that's going to happen. I agree. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, but yeah, hats off to folks at IGN and, and other folks who, who posted that for sure. Um, Owen Shannon submits a question. He says, hey, my next group. I was wondering if there's ever a time where you've fallen out of love with playing games, and if so, why do you think that was and what brought you back? I had a time in college uh, when I didn't have time and was struggling with how long games could be. I decided Doom 2016 was a digestible game to play through in early 2020. My senior year and finally finishing a game again folded into a lot of quarantine gaming that brought me fully back to games. Lee, are you going through that right now? I'm back. Okay, I he's like back, everybody. Again. Oh, good. <laughs> there was a there was a good period where I was very out of love with them for sure. I, I think I was getting too in my head about like, am I getting enough out of this for the time I'm giving it, which is just not like a healthy way to look at entertainment at all. But what broke me out of it, I think the turning point was getting back into State of Decay two. was downloading that again and going like this is such a game for me this game is doing like so many special things with the immersion of taking care of these nine people yeah in this situation and going from that it's just been like yeah i just need to play the right games i just need to play games that tickle my fancy i feel like it, it just happens occasionally to me every once in a while and the best thing i can do and i think it's really like it happens when your career is your hobby and separating those two things can be very difficult. For so, sure. yeah. So, like, the best thing I can do is just not play something for work. Just be like, okay, I'm going to play The Sims 4, and there's absolutely no way this is going to turn into a work thing. Right. And that's that. That's my evening, you know? It's just, yeah. It's just really making a firm boundary there. Yeah. yeah. I, I definitely, I feel like even even playing like Resident Evil Village recently was a thing that kind of woke me up in a weird way of like, oh yeah, I can like games like this still, you know? Uh, Cause like there have been games that I, I totally enjoyed like this year, but it always, I think Resident Evil was the first one where I was like, I've already beaten this game like three times. I'm going to do it again. And just like having that kind of like, this is not going to be productive in any way. And I don't feel like compelled to play for any work reasons. Um, but I think having those experiences, having that experience, I think kind of opened up like, like I've been kind of taking games as like a job and like this this thing that is just happening for a while. So it was nice to really have that. But so I think it's totally natural to fall out of love. And I think for a lot of people, it's just be, it would just be a period of not playing games for a while, right? Um, so it is definitely kind of healthy to have those those moments in time where you're kind of like ah, I'll just watch a movie or what, like not play games for a little while, do something else, and then come back to a game that is like because you want to, right? I think that's also why I got more into music stuff lately is just mm. like I wanted to do something because I feel like so many of my hobbies are just like games or game adjacent related or writing related. So I'm just like, OK, how can I use like a completely different part of my brain that isn't me like reading a book or playing a game? And so I was like, all right, well, like music stuff is a way to do that is just, just it's a completely different part of my brain. And I can just kind of be in my own world, do my own thing and do that for like a few hours and it doesn't matter if it's productive or not um and it's just for me and i don't even have to share it with anybody it's just a thing for me that's beautiful have you played a song from a video game yet though <laughs> i have <laughs> what'd you go I for i definitely have yeah i i've been messing around with like assassin's creed music <laughs> okay. and 
also the Dead by Daylight main theme for some reason. And just what I do is like I, I take that stuff and then I sort of do a cover of it, I guess. But it's sort of like a riff off of it where like I'll take the the song and I'll like learn how to play it on piano or something and then just kind of make it my own thing at the same time. Honestly, I said an idea. That sounds like a really good feature. Like how playing the piano has reminded me about games. Like you could write that up. I could do that. Okay, that's a good idea. <laughs> you should do it. Uh, oh, you just made it about work again, <laughs> little brother. <laughs> Sincerely, Eric submits a comment uh, and says, "Elise, this is a very serious question for you." Oh my. Oh, okay, I'm ready. What kind of product does JV use in his hair? I must know <laughs> how he gets it so handsome. You two, I should know this. Yeah, you I two live together this. for years. We lived together for two years, but that's was a while ago now and i have no idea to be honest it it seems like spit is it spit (laughs) i wouldn't be surprised (laughs) i wouldn't be also surprised if there was a hair product called spit that that was like one of those like order online you know podcast ad kind of yeah to be honest i do not think jb does anything particularly special with his hair that's just the way his hair is okay there it is official word I can't think of anybody better to ask than you. Uh, Joshua Novalis writes in and says, Howdy, cohorts. Uh, what are the best books you've ever read on games? I recently read through Schreier's Blood, Sweat, and Pixels and just picked up a couple books on mechanics and design, and I'm looking for more. Has anybody got any good video game book recommendations? Uh, yeah, Masters of Doom is the classic one. Yeah, Masters of Doom. Yeah, I haven't I read that. Know. Have you all read that or some of you read it? Is it as good uh, yeah, as... Yeah, I've read it. Okay. It's still really good, yeah. I, I feel like that will act as a really good counter or like compliment to his uh, Jason Schreier's latest book, uh, Press Reset, where it feels like this is, I think a lot of the companies in that book in Press Reset feel like they're chasing the high of what was happening in Masters of Doom, where it's just this like total creative like vortex of like these people building off of each other and creating this game that just took over the world Mm. um, and seeing how like that can have these side effects, right? They feel like compliments to each other really well. But I think those those are probably the like the two big ones for me right now uh are those two yeah i do think schreier's two books are also a great way to get a little behind the scenes peek into game development there's some fascinating stories and anecdotes in there um ask Awada, which just came out recently is good it's it's short uh but it, it's a good way to have a little more insight into Awada. but a lot of it's just kind of like it kind of feels like i don't know what armageddon in retrospect from vonnegut i'm trying to think of like those books that are like published after somebody's past where it's kind of like ah we're just kind of collecting bits and pieces and cobbling it together and technically it's a book uh Askawada at times kind of feels like that where it's like this feels like a segment of one of his speeches and then here's one editorial and they took one paragraph out of that it feels a little cobbled together but still there's a lot of interesting insight in there yeah. and it's fun just to another one it's which is weird because it's actually like an upcoming book technically but uh matt leone uh wrote like a series of articles for polygon that were like oral histories of street fighter games yeah and i think those like put together i think are actually a really strong history that show you know how a franchise is built you know how how companies kind of decide projects you know like things like uh, this game we really just made because we had a bunch of leftover arcade boards that were old and nobody wanted them. So, like, why don't we make a game using this hardware and just repurpose all of these old boards and make them new again? And, like, that's uh, partially how this one game was born. You know, like, seeing seeing how a lot of those practical decisions become, like, this these magical franchises that people remember really fondly. I saw there was a headline a while ago, Surreal, um, that said that Namco still owns the rights for Street Fight based on some old game or something so that technically 
Capcom still has to pay Namco to use the word Street Fighter. Do you know anything about yeah. that? I, I didn't know that, but that definitely sounds like a thing that would just happen randomly because I think the, like there there has been some weird right stuff in the past of like yeah I I I don't have like a specific example, but there's definitely a lot of weird things like um gosh I'm trying to remember like I there was a a thing that happened recently that uh, was very much like that, but yeah like there's. What, there was like that recent lawsuit about Epic or like the, the word Epic or like the word Scrolls, I think was oh, one well, that Scrolls, a, a yeah. while that, ago. That yeah. biggie with the Mojang game, which is that still playable? Is that a good I new show know. plus is to go back and try and play Mojang play Scrolls? Scrolls. <laughs> I don't know. Um, I think the weirdest thing that's happened in my lifetime probably was when Leo took a big swig out of his stupid novelty mug and Elise did not bat an eye. That's how you know that she's a very sweet accepting person is that Leo, you it's like you could have just been covered in slime and Elise just would have nodded and smiled and not judged you in the least for it. I think we could all learn a powerful lesson from that. <laughs> I think you're yeah. right. <laughs> uh, what can I say? Also on that book front, uh, Sid Meier's uh, memoir which I believe is just called Sid Meier's Memoir, exclamation point, uh, is also a pretty fast read, but it, I love that book. Uh, it's great to have a little more insight into the life of a game developer. And I think Cliff Blazinski is also writing a memoir, which even though I'm not the biggest fan of Cliff's work, uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm looking forward to reading that. I think it, I, yeah, I'm looking forward to me. more. What's that, Leo? Cliffy Me is the title, I'm thinking. <laughs> yeah, I think so. Has he decided on one? I don't know. You should let him know. Okay. Yeah, you should I, I would like, I think there are going to be some upcoming memoirs that I think are going to be really cool once people start retiring from the games industry. Yes. Andy McNamara should write a book. I yeah. have screamed at him oh, about that so many I'm times. I was waiting for him to do that. Yeah, believe it or not, Elise, his attitude is, eh, no one wants to hear my stupid old stories. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm not surprised at all. It's like, who are you talking? <laughs> sounds like it. I still, I want to go back and watch that Extra Life archive from a couple years ago where we auctioned off all of Andy's old shirts. Cause every once in a while I wake up in a cold sweat just thinking about like, did we throw away hundreds of thousands of dollars for charity? Because we promoted that, but like some of those, I know they're just shirts, everybody, but like some of those shirts were like Nintendo, you know, uh, effects chip shirts. There's like old Insomniac shirts and Naughty Dog shirts from like the beginning of the company that I'm sure like those founders don't even have anymore. There's so much cool, unique stuff there that I hope they all found a good home. Yeah, shirts you could frame some of the... Yes, yeah. yes. That's how we should have built the entire auction. But yeah, there's so much good old history that went to a good cause, I suppose, for charity. Um, Everyone Sonic says, hey, everybody, uh, you go to sit down and and start playing video games for the day when all of a sudden a magic controller appears. It says you now have the power to erase all memory of playing a single game and then you get to play the game again but for the first time. Sorry if this is a little hard to understand. Basically, everyone Sonic wants to know which one game will you get to pick to experience for the first time in 2021? Erase your memory, play a game again. What do you, what do you go for? I mean, uh, the first thing that comes to mind is Mass Effect, even though we just talked <laughs> about it. It's just like I, that that is a game like that is a trilogy that I've just been like, I wish I could just erase everything I know about it and start fresh because it, it, it's been really cool to play the Legendary Edition and everything feels just a little bit more epic. Even like just seeing the Citadel come into view for the first time um, when you're in the Normandy is just like it. It blew me away all over again. Yeah. But I just, I wish I could go back to just like completely fresh start, do it all over again, not know a thing. But do you think, honestly, if it's the year 20, 
37 and science, you know, science, uh, they tweet from at science and they just said, at least we have the technology to erase your memory of playing one game. It's like a laser that we zap into your head, but dude, seriously, trust us. We'll only take out your memory of playing one game. Would you actually do it? Or do you think that'd be too scary? (laughs) Would I also lose the memories of like talking about that game or the like experiences around it? Probably. (laughs) Oh no. Um, That's tough. I mean, (laughs) I guess that I probably would not choose Mass Effect. Oh. Because like it is really... I don't know. It, like I, I've made friends because of Mass Effect, yeah. and like I like, there's so much surrounding Mass Effect that has like defined my gaming experience. I guess mm-hmm. so. It's just kind of like, no, I shouldn't erase that. That would be terrible. So I would lose all the surrounding memories. Yeah, that's um, smart. So it has to be a game that you it, love, but that you don't that you didn't really talk to anybody about. That's yeah, the it's secret just like here. A ga- which boy, um, <laughs> as a games journalist, that's tough. Uh, <laughs> But yeah, it's probably something. If it was just like a, an indie game that I really liked and I'm just like, oh, I never really... You know what I would probably choose? I would probably choose some like um, obscure point-and-click adventure game that mm. I loved and never really talked about. Like, I don't know if anyone knows like Wadged Eye games. Yeah. They're, they're a publisher and like they do really good stuff and I played pretty much everything of theirs. If I could just erase my memory for like a select few of those and just replay them, be very happy Ooh, that's pretty good even like portal one just like a nice simple puzzle yeah. game i think that'd be a really good choice like my thought yeah. immediately went to like last of us the first one just because that entire game was spoiled for me because i edited a video about it a spoiled back at game informer and so i didn't really get to have a clean take on that game so i'd go with right. that one i'd go ahead and zap it all yeah for me i would go red dead 2's campaign because we played it uh at game informer kind of in a hurry to do the spoiled before like winter break yeah, yep. or whatever. And so I did kind of brute force through the campaign towards the end. And I want my next playthrough, which I've kind of started is to do like everything in every chapter, like tour the whole map before I move on the story at all. And oh it would be God. very cool to do that. Like as my first playthrough. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I think mine, I think mine might be metal gear solid five. Ooh, just because like, that is a game I would love to come back to now for a number of reasons, just to see like what is my reaction to that game now. And I remember having like some really strong experiences then, but like going back to it now, like I there's a lot of that game that I don't want to have to redo. But I think if I were playing it for the first time, I I would be more interested in doing. So it's more like less of like oh I can't wait to experience this again, and more like a, as an academic exercise of just like. <laughs> uh, what would this look like? Would I totally hate this game now? Going back to it now, I feel like that is a really like a lot but i would be safe if like i played it now and kind of hated it or something you know? right right you'd have the cover uh everybody watching right. us live at the backstage past here on patreon the ten dollar tier uh has strong thoughts ray luaza says breath of the wild mike also says breath of the wild can't blink says horizon zero dawn chris logan says super metroid uh adrian Create says Breath of the Wild. Chris Logan says Tetris. Mike says Stanley Parable. Bob Buell says The Witness. Hell's Fury says all the Dark Tower books. That's not a game, Hell's Fury. Get out of here, you monster. I also want to say for my answer, I would then be able to go back and watch all those podcasts we did about Red Dead 2 and oh. relive those discussions. Yeah. And you could be mad at me all anew for thinking the epilogue was too long. <laughs> right. Try to unravel the mystery of why 
my memory was erased. <laughs> <laughs> well, you'd have to give yourself tattoos along the way. It's a whole saga. Mm. Uh, Chris mm. Logan writes in and says, hey, been in the courts uh, or just horts, he says. Sure. Um, it's the beginning of a long road trip. You make your first stop to fill up on gas. What snacks are you buying from the convenience store? Mm, nerds of... clusters. Are y'all on this nerds Whoa! clusters tip? No, is that it's... like the... No, wait, I'm thinking of a nerds rope. Not a rope. It's that, but in cluster form. So it's the little nuggets of rope wrapped in nerds. It's a little higher nerds in the ratio. Oh, I've had those. Yeah. yeah. I love they're them. Good. They're, they're at the Speedway next to my house, and every time we're in there, we get at least one bag. Now, I don't want a candy shame. To me, in my professional podcasting mind, Go off. nerds? kind of candy for like seven-year-olds it's just it's like pixie sticks it's that same camp of this is just stupid sugar compared to other smarter more sophisticated you're really starting discourse about nerds right now i'm anti-nerds pro nerds candy like you know a sour airhead strip like those little rainbow (laughs) strips now that's some good sugar you can put in your mouth you know artisanal (laughs) that's right i think they're all shipped in from italy yeah. I, I've had a weird journey with this because I, I think at some point I realized I did that too. I, I grabbed too much food there. So I was like, okay, I need to taper off and, and like spend actively spend less time looking for snacks and stuff. But I think the, the, the group that I've gotten into now is just finding the weird new stuff where um, you look at one of those aisles for like one of the larger convenience store or um, gas station stores. And there will just be a bunch of weird different things. So I think my rule is now only if there's a thing that I haven't tried before, will I buy something from a gas station. It has to be stupid, yeah. It, it has to be like a, a dumb, like, like Reese's has been doing a lot of work in this field recently where it's like, <laughs> Five here's years. big cup. Like, there's just, re, what if Reese's but big? Or like, they'll have the pretzel cup where it's just like, what if big Reese's with pretzel inside? Or like, they'll have like the Nut Rages, like so many variations of the Nut Rages bar. Or in like, here, here's like a, a, a Reese's candy bar with Reese's pieces in it. And so they'll just do dumb things like that or things like new Kit Kat flavors. Like they just had like birthday cake and key lime pie flavors. So anytime I see something stupid like that, I'll be like, okay, that's worth a try. But yeah. I've decided <laughs> I've decided not to like have that go-to snack specifically. So I'm, I'm more of an explorer of candy stuff. Mm. Interesting. I, I, well, I just go with the same stuff all the time. I'm very boring. Which I is? like. I like Reese's and I like Fritos. And if we're going to go into Canadian stuff, I don't know if you guys know Aero Bars, no. chocolate bars. Those are those are I'm very good. Now, um, caramel. I've had okay. a caramel. Those are good. Those are good. Macintosh bars. What? Macintosh bars. My cousins used to go to Canada and bring those back for me. I have no idea what that is. I've never heard of Macintosh bars. Do they like have... a big brick of caramel or toffee or something? They're good. Cool. Do yeah, they have cool. um like full beaver tails that you can get? at gas stations to load up on for Montreal? Hansen. No, I, this is a thing. Like, no, beaver explain, tails are a thing. Yeah, explain actually. what they are, because they're yeah. amazing. This, this is, they're not actual beaver tails. They're a pastry. Um, depends where you go. Sometimes, yeah. And Okay, so it's, a, it's like a pastry, but it's like a waffle indent, and then, or is it just like they just put a bunch of crap on top? It's like a it's super been a long Danish. time since I've had a beaver tear, tail because I have celiac disease and I can't actually eat oh, them. Oh, that's right. You're the worst so person I'm probably to ask actually not it. the best person to ask about what's inside a beaver tail. Okay. Because uh, they... it's been like, uh, I, probably the last time I actually ate one, I was maybe like eight years old. Okay. Uh, everybody just Google beaver tail pastry. Yeah, you can't, you can't yeah. go wrong there. I, think I will also say 
uh, Duke's sh- shorty sausages, spicy little sausages. Those are a great mm. like jerky style mm-hmm. snack if you don't have acid reflux but are curious about it. Mm. That's a great one to try. Yeah. yeah, outside of the sweet realm, I think like honestly, road trip. I enjoy a good bag of corn nuts on a road trip. It'll probably shatter some of your teeth, but solid for a long drive. Yeah, I like the I like the coated peanuts where they'll like put like you know obviously it's terrible for you, but like the the flat like when they coat them with flour and they're like kind of I think they're sometimes branded as like Japanese nuts. Uh, but like they, they give like regular peanuts like a, a much stronger crunch. So I really like those a lot as well. There it is. Connor Cunningham asks Serial, what's your go-to game soundtrack remix or cover album to put in the background while you work? One of my current favorites is BK Knapp's Terrible Fate album, which is a cover album of Majora's Mask. Interesting. Oh. And I do want to check that out. Uh, I, I think I've mentioned it before, but uh, I think the one, the track that I go back to, and it's just, it's literally one track. It is the the Clouds theme from Nidhogg. Uh, I'll <laughs> just have right. that on loop because it is such a good song to just uh, zone out to. I like the the repeat stuff because it, sometimes I think a lot of soundtracks will follow this arc of like, oh, this is bringing me back to that moment in the game. And then that becomes too distracting of like, oh, I remember this part from the game. Mm. Whereas I think the, the Nidhogg one is just like, it's really good kind of zone out and, and work music for me. Yeah. Well, I don't think I need to put on any music ever again because after playing through the first third of Mass Effect 1, I think the Citadel music is just baked into my soul forever. <laughs> so it's just kind of like automatically running. It kind of takes care of that for me. Uh, Joe Halaska writes in and says, Throughout the PS4's life cycle, lots of incredible PS1-era games were produced, like the Crash series, Final Fantasy VII, Spyro, Tony Hawk, Resident Evil 2 and 3, and even stuff like Medieval. By contrast, the N64 library rarely gets any remakes. The handful that exist are handheld revisions of games for the DS and 3DS and upscaled rare games and rare replay, I guess. Why do you think that is? And do you think there's any likelihood of a big N64 game remake in the future? Love, Joe. Team Ketchup, because Leo is right. Interesting. Um, well, at for that video. Yeah, no kidding. Um, this is a good question. Yeah, why are there so many PS1 era remakes but not 64? I think the logical reason is there's a lot more third-party stuff happening on the PS1 compared to 64. Nintendo isn't as big on the remake train. They don't have never needed to. They go, here's the thing again. You can yeah. buy it again, and you do. <laughs> That's true. They don't yeah. really have to. All, all the the biggest Nintendo sixty four games are Nintendo games, uh, and I think a lot. There's maybe like a, a few exceptions, but like I think a lot of the third party games are maybe not looked at so fondly. Like the Castlevania right. sixty four game is not uh, looked at pretty well, or like things like even GoldenEye. You know, Nintendo has enough involvement in that, and there are so many licensing right. agreements that it becomes difficult to re release that game. Um, but yeah, I, I think it does come with like. Nintendo has this thing where they're like, if we release a remake of our old games, we have to make it a $60 product and we have to justify it with like some new mode or thing. So it's always a much larger project than it than that stuff always needs to be. So it ends up being like, well, we don't want to do it because, you know, like it, it, it's not big enough for us to revive that way. So and that's the only way we'll do it. Yeah, I'm trying to think of like the history of Nintendo big remakes, not ports. And it's like Ocarina of Time, 3D Majora's Mask, think those were built from the ground up by grezzo yeah but i don't know if they had access to the source code or not yeah outside of that of course yeah geez of course yeah link's awakening but it's yeah, and they'll do rare. re-releases things like you know plus bowser's minions or whatever like they'll, they'll like they'll release some of their smaller games with like here's a whole new section pay full price for it now right uh you know like the, the, uh, i think the skyward sword remake 
or remaster is like one of the rare ones where it's like, we don't have a big new thing other than we brought it to Switch and we fixed the controls. That was a big enough ask right, that right. we decided not to add like some other mode. Yeah. Um, Ricky Winterborn says, do you think Toxic Gamers Online will always be a thing? My wife bought an Oculus Quest 2 and I already had one. So we hopped into an online game called Rec Room only to immediately be bombarded by kids stream- screaming obscenities in her face. She immediately quit the game and was stunned by what had just happened. It's impressive to me how entertained a sizable chunk of gamers are with griefing people. Is this just an unavoidable subset of people in society, or is it an issue with gaming? Probably both. recently. Definitely both. <laughs> but I think games, you know, in a way, encourage it a lot in the, in the way they make it about winning and about and like i'm just playing siege and when you you know you're up to and then you manage to lose it says choked defeat on the screen it's like there's so much built in the game making you feel bad about losing why wouldn't the player also go and try and make you feel bad about losing you know yeah have you experienced this in rec room like we're really struck we did a stream recently which shall it not be named where we streamed uh cards and tankards like a vr kind of magic hall simulator and we were all amazed like everyone's so nice in here and so i think in my mind i just assumed like well if you're in vr it's like so intimate people will be nice but has rec room been a s show when you've jumped in there it definitely can be oh my god yeah i mean the bigger thing about cards and tankards is that it's a smaller game that like people don't know about i think right versus rec room being a free thing anybody can get on the quest or even you can play it on pc too yeah yeah i don't know i i think Leo's right that just just like games sort of can breed that atmosphere for a number of reasons is like they're they can be competitive and you get heated um or you know there there's a certain entitlement I think that comes with like this is my experience and I've you know even though it's it's actually a product that you're playing um and I think also you know depending where you look it's also just a problem with the internet and just online in general it's not exclusive to games either there's always going to be a certain toxicity there when you're anonymous yeah Yeah. i i and it's something that's i don't think it should be separated for games or i don't think there is a way to do it but it is interesting to think about how tied in like pride and achievements is into gaming and how that kind of has a built-in opposite effect of you know not achieving something makes you worthless yeah, right. and I, I think that in recent years, I think a lot of companies have woken up to that idea of like toxicity when it comes to competition is just going to naturally merge and mm. how different companies deal with that kind of thing, you know, putting like filters and restrictions on people like that to prevent that kind of harassment from happening, I think is is like the best I think we can hope for is for that stuff to be uh, somehow curtailed by the company so that people don't see it as much or that it is less impactful. Uh, so I think that's maybe maybe the direction that we should head in and maybe not try to say like, oh, let's try to make gamers less toxic versus like, let's stop. It's going it's to happen. They're going to keep happening. It's just a question of like, how do you regulate it? Yeah, I do love the Overwatch solution or, you know, somewhat solution of the commendations. Mm hmm of shouting out your teammate for different things of like they were just a good teammate or they were calling the shots in like a respectful way i think mm-hmm. that is a good solution to it is having a way to boost people who are doing a good job socially yeah yeah uh tanner metvin writes in says i'm playing famicom detective club on my switch and i'm enjoying it so far 
But what interests me most about it is the fact that it was remade and localized at all. Well, I guess there's a Nintendo remake. Um, <laughs> I know the game has its fans, including Sakurai, who considered putting one of its main characters in Melee, but it feels almost like a passion project for Nintendo's lesser-known history. Is there any weird and or obscure bit of video game history you'd like to see get similar treatment that no one but you is calling for? For example, I would have killed for Nintendo to re-release the Virtual Boy games on 3DS when that system was at its peak. Yeah, that is really honestly damning that they did not even think or consider publicly the idea of releasing the virtual boy games it's like you have another 3d system you have all these games that are almost impossible to play they're just important for gaming history and eh, no, not so much but uh yeah before we get to that that meaty one um famicom detective club is that sir have you been playing this bizarre yeah. remake i've played a couple of hours of it it's it, it it is the thing that's like kind of has cemented to me that yeah, Nintendo to some degree is just going to do whatever they want. They they're not like as they don't feel like as beholden to like oh we have to release this because the people really want it. This right. definitely does strike me as like there was a group that was really passionate about this game at Nintendo, so they decided to give this like a full remake when you know the franchises like F Zero uh, go completely untouched you know for years. Um, but it is weird seeing this game of like, okay, this is, this is, I can see how this is an interesting historical object, but there's a, a lot of stuff like with the interface where it's like a very old school adventure game where the, what you're supposed to do next is, is usually not super clear. And it is just a matter of like, talk to this person about every potential option that you have available to you and event and hope that one of them advances the story and then do that with the other person in the room and do all of those dialogue options again. And sometimes it'll be a thing where you have to talk to this person about this topic twice. And then that'll be the thing that advances. I hate that. Yeah. And so like the lack of quality of, 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 uh, quality of life features in those remakes is is somewhat baffling, but uh, but yeah, it is the thing that it's like, why why is this here? Well, like nobody asked for this, so Nintendo just wanted to do it. Um, maybe it was like quest- maybe it was like literally Sakurai just being like, I'll make another batch of DLC characters for Smash as long as you finally do right by Famicom Detective Club. Detective Club, yeah, and I can <laughs> totally see that because I think at the time, like this is a 1988 game, so I think the idea of this is effectively like nintendo's only venture into this genre and it you know the fact that it does like i don't know what they did to the script but like it does feel pretty modern in that sense uh i i could see why like someone played this back then and was like holy crap i can't believe like games can do something like this Uh, especially like in the realm of nintendo consoles yeah yeah it is weird but yeah in terms of the larger question about pieces of history you want pulled out this is um i don't know if anybody else even remembers this game but i liked it um, back with the original iPod Nano, I think maybe it was a shorter one, I forget exactly which one, but Harmonix made a game that was like the successor to Frequency and Amplitude, and it was called Phase. And you played it on the iPod Nano, and they had some sweet tracks in there, it was a really cool game, from what I remember, and now it's just one of those things that's just like lost to history forever, and I was sure some way Apple could preserve it, or Harmonix release Phase on Steam, come on y'all! I used to play a shareware game called The Quest of Yipe. There were three games in the trilogy. It was for Mac. I got it on floppy disk from ordering it online. And Lord knows they're not making a definitive edition of that anytime (laughs) soon, but I would love to have that in a convenient way. That's a good one. It's got to be playable some way online, right? Let me check. I mean, with Flash going down, though, maybe it was kind of bundled in with that in some murky way. Um... Leo, did you know this? Hey. 
Leonardo. Do I know how this whole thing operates? Uh, yeah, it operates from uh, supporters like Leonardo here. He says, uh, this is Leonardo Roberto Talavera Baracchio. Thank you. Um, he says, hey, Vader, at what point hey. did you give up on trying to get people to use your full name before you just introduced yourself forevermore as Leo? Folks really like to make me out to be a jerk whenever I insist they call me Leonardo, but I will not be deterred. <laughs> <laughs> Well, my full name isn't Leonardo. My full name is just Leo. Yeah, Leonardo Roberto. Come on. So um, change it. <laughs> honestly, I've read this. It was the first time in my life where I thought like, wait, is Leo Leonardo? That's the coolest thing. And I've never thought about it. That would be cool. Have you ever... But like, I can't complain. As a kid... I like having a short name, you know? It's good. But like as a kid... You when you're like, for using your full name when they call you Leo? I do. Has anyone That's ever cool. called you Leonardo? People have used it as a nickname for sure at restaurants I used to work at. And did, I didn't mind it. Did you have a big... Leonidas, I accept. Oh, interesting. I mean, were the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles a big deal for you? Because I haven't ever really thought about this either. You're like, your name is a combo of Ninja Turtles and Star Wars. Like, you, as a kid, you must have been the coolest kid in the world. I guess I was. Interesting. <laughs> okay. I don't know. I didn't watch much Ninja Turtles. I got the Star Wars thing a lot, though, of course. Of course. All right. Uh, Steven Sumingwit uh, writes in, he says, I'm entering two years in my current job at a, as a marketing communications coordinator. My annual review is coming up. What's your best strategy in negotiating a pay rise or raise? I can already picture popping that bottle of champagne, says Steven. How do you get a pay raise? It's tough. My girlfriend is, was just doing this this past week is just figuring out how to do this. And it's been a lot of like being very clear, like before the talks even happened, be like, yeah, there, there are numbers I will say no to. Like, I d don't want these, because it's coming with a promotion is her situation. Mm. But it's like, for these new responsibilities, I need to be compensated this way and I need it to not consume my whole life. And yeah. just being like super upfront mm. about that. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, the biggest pay raise I ever got was... Um, because Jason A. Stryker left Game Informer uh, back in, what was that, like 2012 or something? And I think then the higher-ups panicked a little bit, like, oh, crap, Hanson accepted a dirt-low salary, and so now we at least really match where Jason was when he left or whatever that is, or they just realized, like, my God, if I decided to quit at that moment, the studio would be left in complete disarray. The uh, biggest pay rise I ever got was when Ben Hansen left Game Informer. Is that true? <laughs> yeah. Interesting. Let's compare some numbers <laughs> off air. This is interesting. Yeah. Um, Josh Labah wrote it. Says, yes, what's the lesson there, Leo? Just everybody's secretly worth more than they think and they should try and... Yes. Okay. Yeah. That is the main thing is you are not getting paid enough. <laughs> no yeah. matter where I, you I definitely are. never have negotiated for a pay raise, which is weird to say. I feel like I should have probably done it at some point, but... Uh, I think the biggest pay raise that I ever got was like one year into my uh, job at Game Informer where they were like, I think there's some law or like we, we've we been paying you oh, a yeah. criminally low amount of money. So now here's a like $8,000 pay raise a year or whatever. Yeah, it was, was significant. Like a, yeah, yeah, it was pretty. It, it was like, I think I came in at like uh, 40 
a year, uh, 40K a year. And then they were like, my first year, it's like, uh, what if we just gave you an $8,000 raise and you like, we quietly kind of acknowledged that we should have been paying you more. Uh, so here you go. And I was like, okay, great. That's awesome. Uh, and then, <laughs> and after that, I just kind of felt fortunate of like, well, they did give me an $8,000 raise last year. Uh, and then I never got the chance to renegotiate for that uh, uh, any higher. So, uh, never say so that, never. That, that is a weird experience, but I would like also tips on how to, how to negotiate that. Yeah, please submit a comment with your best tip. Yeah, I remember mm-hmm. like when I was interviewing, <laughs> I mean, I came from like community TV and I remember Andy asked me, he's like, well, how much are you making over there now? And I was like, I don't know if I really want to say. And then he's like, all right, if you don't want to say, all right, that's fine. I guess you're gonna. And he kept very, it was very much like, all right, like you're really hurting yourself by not saying how much you're making right now. And then I was like, uh, twenty nine thousand dollars. And then he's like, all right, okay, we can we can top that. I think I got like thirty thousand starting at Game Informer or something like that. But you know, fun mm-hmm. negotiations. Um, let's see. Josh Laba writes in and says, with the PS5 in short supply for at least a year, will Sony let some first party games release day and date on PC as fan service? This could sell some of those well-stocked DualSense controllers if marketed and supported right. I think that's a very interesting idea, Josh. Um, I had not thought of that, but I mean, with chip shortages continuing for the next year at least, it seems like a pretty dire situation. And so there's so many people scrambling for these PS5 games. I think that's a bigger transition than just like, well, put it on the PC as well. I mean, the developers... There'd be a lot of work for them to make sure that it's a, a good quality, quality version running on PC, but I do like that as an option if these chip shortages continue to be a real deal breaker of just like realizing what's coming up on the road ahead and then saying, all right, God of War Ragnarok, get started on that PC version. We got to rock and roll because we can't even sell PS5s if we wanted to. Yeah, I, yeah, I want that, but I don't know. I don't okay. see it as very likely. Yeah. Same. Yeah. Yeah, it is also weird to see. Like, I think recently there was a thing with like Ratchet and Clank where I think someone, I think some ad or some like something relating to that game mentioned that it was going to be a console exclusive, and then fans like freaked out because they thought like, oh, is it also coming to PC? And I think the reaction was like from from some subset of Sony fans was really negative of like, oh, you shouldn't put. I guess you just be a PlayStation exclusive. Right. Uh, so it is weird seeing that, and then like, yeah, then Insomniac eventually clarify that it's like it's PS5 like, exclusive. Weird. This is PS5 only. Uh, and people were like, yeah, finally, like, no, we fewer won. people will play this game. It's <laughs> such a weird mindset, you know? know I'm yeah. glad that we were getting more first-party Sony games on PC. It just, like, more people can play it. Yeah. What's the problem yeah. with that? Yeah, Days Gone yeah. is out there now, and it seems to be a good port so far, so people are happy. Yeah. Um, finally, people can talk about Days Gone in the year 2021. Um, Chris Culkins writes in and says, do you all like it in games when you put a waypoint on the map and it disappears when you reach it? Yes, I do. Yes. Yeah. There you go, Chris. I do not like having to manually remove it myself. Mm-mm. Very annoying. Adrian Torres writes in and says, Hello, crew. So I was a PC gamer in my early teens, but then quickly moved to Xbox when I was 18 and moved out on my own. Anyway, I've been a console guy for the last 20 years and an Apple man, I might add. Oh, Adrian, you dirty dog. <laughs> but I recently picked up a PC and I'm wondering what gems I might have missed over the years. In general, I like puzzle and strategy games as well as role-playing games. Big suggestions for Adrian? I think I think you might be interested. It's free on Steam. There's a, a a cool game that combines like the strategy games and RPGs. It's called Dota 2. Uh, it is a game that you cannot mm. play on a console, uh, and I think it's a really strong mix of like RPG elements and strategy that uh, you can play with teammates. Just make sure to mute all chat, uh, and I think you'll have a fantastic time. And it's called Dota. Dota 2, yeah. Dota 2. And for anything, according to the company that owns it. Uh, so <laughs> just ignore that part of it. Just 
<laughs> play one of your favorite characters for free. All the characters are available for free. I will say, which is like a genuinely cool thing. Um, All right. But beyond that, uh, I honestly would try some first-person shooters, like something like Portal, even uh, in like mm. to get used to mouse and keyboard controls to see whether or not you like them more or not. I think would be a pretty good, a pretty good uh, way to mess around with. Like this is what the PC can let me do that consoles could not. Yeah, you know what I realized that we are well past due for an announcement on is Valorant is still PC exclusive, right? Right. The right games thing. Yeah. Like it feels like that's going to be at Jeff Keighley's, you know, uh, summer games fest or something. Sure. It feels like the, the industry is ready to go yeah. for that big announcement. They're like Valorant's coming to consoles or even a, yeah, you play it now type announcement. Yeah. I hope they have that tone of voice when they deliver the news. I know. <laughs> <laughs> what is this konami's uh, 2010 e3 press conference that we just watched on youtube it's a very fun time um, yeah i will say yeah first person shooters i like fell in love with way more as a genre playing them on pc for mm. sure me too that actually happened to me more like this year i got like finally like i finally got a pc and uh, i guess it was actually like or not okay wow we're in 2021 i just lost track of time so no not this year last year i got a pc um, and ever since then, I've been playing more PC games. And I like, I really like Valorant, for example, which I never thought I would like. And I think it's just like, it just turns out that first person shooters are just much, they see, they feel more natural on PC. And I guess yeah. that's just with like, uh, you know, the mouse and everything. Yeah, I think even beyond the shooter realm, though, there's even games that exist technically on console, but stuff like City Skyline, it's like, oh, like, please play that yeah, on PC. Yeah, like simulation games and stuff. Yeah. Just, bit much better yeah PC. yeah or even something like an immersive sim or anything with like a really strong like uh quick save quick load feature mm-hmm. uh i think is is like a good use of your hard drive i know ps5 obviously has like a really good hard drive as well but there are a lot of games that make use of that feature on pc i'm like oh i could i could save scum my like being introduced to save scumming i think might be a cool pc experience <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Um, and then in terms of like pure exclusives, like Into the Breach is still an exclusive, right? And if you like strategy... No, it's on Switch. It's on Switch. Oh, it's it on is? Switch and it's best on Switch. It's a oh. perfect Switch game. Never mind, Adrian. Um, but enjoy your PC. Um, remember to download Discord, jump in that MinMax community, say hi to everybody, all that fun stuff, the greatest PC exclusive. Um, Empiric Unicorn writes in and says, hey, yo, CLCs. Um, hello, Empiric. Um, hello. If a... Okay, hang on. If real life had video game options, what would you choose for the following? Subtitles, on or off? On. For Um, real life? Yeah, I think that'd be cool. Occasionally, yes, that would be very helpful. Okay, and then walk through Times Square, Elise, and tell me that you don't want to end your life. (laughs) Well, okay, some some games do have different options for subtitles where it's like all ambient dialogue or just like converse or or like uh, main character conversations or whatever they call it. But like, I would. the main characters of Times Square, please. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Elmo. Yeah. Uh, I think yeah, that would be cool. So people that are directly addressing you, that pops yeah. up as a subtitle. Yeah, th- then I would know when someone is addressing me, even while I'm wearing headphones. If I see subtitles, I should no, look around. No, because the problem then is you would never be making eye contact with who you're talking to. It would be like at like cleavage level, and it'd be really mm. distracting and rude of you to read subtitles, Serial. Yeah, I think I, I I would have to mess around with the with how the interface looks like, for sure. <laughs> but I think... I, I would like to try it at least. Turn it on and maybe turn it off later. <laughs> okay. Uh, aim assist. 
At first, at first, <laughs> in real like, life, sure. yeah, I was like, this is insane. I, I but, guess on, but what is that? I guess what? I don't know that I would get a lot throwing of throwing a crumpled yeah. up paper into the wastebasket, stuff like that, throwing food into your mouth. You would be yeah. such a badass. The, the best <laughs> implementation would be if it were if it worked like in Hitman, where it's just like you have the object, it like it highlights the spot, like you know, throw you know like. Uh, whatever thing like throw thing into trash and it highlights the trash and you just automatically find the trajectory that hits the trash can or here's the keys catch and you throw it and it hits wherever their hand is yes i like i guess you could really make a career for yourself in like sports and just not tell anyone you have an assist (laughs) yeah you can can finally start an incredible pitcher in baseball Mm -hmm. that's true Ooh, yeah that's pretty good i like the idea of you Leo, thinking it's badass to throw food in your mouth, but I like you having the superpower and you're out on a first date. Check this out. Just doing like crazy bank shots and throwing food in your own mouth. And yeah. the interface was like Peggle where it showed you like here's what one, <laughs> one bounce looks like and you had to aim it that way. <laughs> and there's still a bucket underneath the table just in case you miss. Um, what about frame? Okay, I'm confused. Frame rate or resolution? We all know frame what this rate. means. What's the frame what, rate for what, human eyes? I would like to turn on the frame rate, I guess, so I can see movement. It'd be nauseating. Well, field of view, maybe. And this is just more. These have are just stronger peripheral vision. How about like ultra wide? Yeah. Mm. So you'd have like fisheye lens effect. Yeah. So it'd be like adding chameleon eyes to the side of your head <laughs> or something. <gasps> well, I don't think it reflects on your character model, right? Uh, I don't know. It's unclear. Do you, do you ever think about? just animals and how weird they are and you kind of forget basic facts about animals like the other day i just relearned probably for the 30th time that fact that like well no carnivores have their eyes facing the front and herbivores eyes face the side it's like one of those weird things like oh yeah i guess that's a very basic idea that we should all keep in yeah. mind and thought about that thanks for orca whales excuse me except for orca whales right yeah i guess whale it would be funny if whales had the eyes in the front <laughs> little glasses on yeah yeah i just uh had an alarming number of friends uh talking about how many nightmares they've had about orca whales and i was just really? shocked about like i've never been scared of those things in my life has anybody is anybody scared of killer whales not Thank as much you. as i should be oh yeah i mean they can't get me here so well they recently took my grandma but i guess personally oh. i'm not really scared of them yet <laughs> um okay what about blood on or off on you want blood no you'd want to know when it was happening i guess yeah i guess like the like, I, my instinct uh, is, is to say off so i don't get to see like you know people are shot or something to not happen, yeah. happen. but but then also it's like if i cut myself i'm not going to notice and then it could get infected yeah so that, that could go but there just be this well. gaping hole in like your finger why am i feeling so much pain well, right now yeah i feel like i was associated with this childhood i wasn't um, bleeding too much as a kid, but just like you know that moment where like you really you scrape your knee, you fall down on the sidewalk or something, and then you're just like staring at the wound, waiting to see like I need to know how much pain I'm in based on how much blood's coming out yeah. of this thing, and you'd so be forever in that. Blood on. Yeah, yeah. You know, for, double it. I say safety reasons. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, life is made immature, unfortunately, <laughs> with bloody mess perk. <laughs> uh, all right, Elise, what do you Not like me. for question of the week? I, okay, not to be that person who chooses the like last question that was just asked, but that was a pretty good question. Either that or the IGN Palestine. I, I also it was good discussion. It's good discussion. I think that last one is a secret secret champion here. Leo it is. I wish there were more. Unusual. Yeah, 
Yeah. I like sure. those kinds of fun questions for sure. Okay, there we go. Congratulations, Empiric Unicorn. You win Untitled Goose Game on PS4 for my 8-bit. Thank you so much. Uh, and now it's time for something we like to call Get a Load of This. Okay, Elise. Let's just oh, really me. put you Start more on me. the spot okay, sure. than you could possibly imagine being. <laughs> Uh, okay, well, I recently came across this video on IGN um, it, about Mass Effect, and it says seven things you probably didn't know about Mass Effect, okay. and I was like, oh, let's see if I actually don't know these things, and then I didn't know these things, <laughs> or not all of them, anyway, <laughs> um, and one of them was cool. Um, also, by the way, it's funny because it was actually written by someone who's my coworker now, Kenneth Shepard. Oh, look at that. Um, who was doing some freelance for IGN. So, yes, the video kind of runs through all these different things, these unknown facts. And one of them was how, so you know that um, the vision that Shepard gets when you go to like the Prothean. Um, yeah. Yeah. Beacon. Uh, I'm forgetting what it's called now for some reason. The, yeah. The beacon. The beacon. Thank you. The Prothean beacon. Um, and there's that weird vision that comes up and it's not CG or any, it's not an engine yeah. or anything like that. Um, it turns out that Casey Hudson, apparently they did this or he, he went to the grocery store and quote, got the weirdest looking meat he could find, uh, got some electric parts and also red wine and kind of used all of that, filmed it himself and uh, used that for creating those visions instead of making it, you know, anything done in a studio. And now the weird thing is, it's known as the Casey Hudson special in most restaurants in Edmonton. <laughs> it's it's sweep in the country. Weird looking meat. I want to know what that meat looked like and what kind of meat it was. Yeah, that's iconic meat now. Weird. I love that. That's very fun. Uh, hey, get a load of this. Um, because I'm a weirdo, I was digging through Dylan Cuthbert's tweets recently, you know, programmer on Star Fox and uh, over there at Q Games, uh, Pixel Junk Series, all that stuff. Um, but he has a fascinating saga, of course, because he spent so much time working with Nintendo uh, on Star Fox and early in the 90s there. And so he was tweeting about this little restaurant called uh, Tomimasu. Um, that they would go to every day when they were developing Star Fox. He says, we went there almost daily with Miyamoto during Star Fox, and it was here that Miyamoto used to tell quote-unquote jokes, is the way he puts it, and practice his English with us. He'd ask us questions about all sorts of irrelevant things or English words with very complicated meanings that we'd struggle to explain back to him in English, making no sense at all, I'm sure. And he taught us all how to hold chopsticks as we were fumbling around with our food back then. The restaurant shut down 15 years ago, but we always remembered it because we went there every day with Miyamoto for lunch, and it was originally called, uh, pardon my French, uh, the restaurant was originally called in Katakana Home Cook because they'd misspelled Home Cook. And we quickly pointed that out for them. And they switched it after we went there for so long. I love just a little saga of like these secret restaurants that have been really important to like the history of games and game development. Like I would love at some point for somebody in Japan, maybe the 8-4 folks or something can just write that like, gamer's guide to tokyo or gamer's guide to japan i guess in general and then it's just like all the important restaurants that developers mention like we went here for lunch every day when we we're developing super metroid i think that kind of stuff is fascinating and there's pictures in the uh link below for the tweets where all these get a loads of this are shared uh leo do you have one get a loads of this mm -hmm. uh mythic games announced an upcoming kickstarter for a rainbow six siege board game what and I want to thank Molden for holding in the Discord, the wonderful Discord we love so much, for sending this to me. But it's 
I quickly got on board with the idea because, you know, Siege has so many great mechanics and then at the end of the day it comes down to, like, gun skill for a lot of it. But this is, like, a lot of those same mechanics, including, like, leaning, holding angles, destroying walls, like, rotating, you know, using different floors of the map. Like, those are all mechanics that are in here in either two or four person, like, asymmetrical gameplay, it says, because you're still got your team of attackers versus a team of defenders. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, I'm really interested in it. Yeah. Can you review that when you play it? Okay. Okay, thanks. Uh, Serial? Yeah, so uh, recently, I think yesterday, uh, a someone, a member of the fighting game community called Infill, uh, I think his full name is Infilament, uh, launched a website called the Fighting Game Glossary, which is this uh, huge like project where they take a bunch of terms from fighting games and the fighting game community and they, they just define them at length. Uh, and it's a really cool website because it'll have something like you know, for the entry crossover combination, it'll say like, hey, you know, here's what it what this means. But they'll also have like, here's the translation for it. If you see it in Japanese, uh, here's like the common term that the Japanese call it. And they'll also have a video uh, like an accompanying video that shows you here's what here's what that looks like. So like for crossover combination, they'll have something like performing a super with every character on your team at the same time in Marvel versus Capcom three. But they'll also have things like for, you know, for like Smash Brothers, they'll have a definition for the term John. Uh, which is a Smash Brothers specific term meaning excuse. You'll hear Smash players saying no Johns to each other to remind each other not to blame the game or the sun in their eyes for their loss and to take responsibility for their gameplay and knowledge. <laughs> There's just one uh, dude named John that super sucked. <laughs> yeah, I think it's just like, like no Johns is just like no, yeah, no, no rubes or whatever. Like that, that's like what, what a scrub is. Like people who, who complain about like, oh, this character sucks or like, oh, you were just spamming this attack, right? Uh, uh, so it, it is like this really fun dive into like different terms and stuff for the fighting game community and to learn, you know, if you're interested in like if you're learning a fighting game and they're like, oh, yeah, just do this technique. And you're like, what does that mean? Someone can just link you to that in yeah. the glossary. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, it's linked below for all this fun stuff. Uh, thanks to Nick from Atlanta for posting. Uh, get a load of this in the channel in the discord. Uh, he points out the story written by Imran Khan from Fanbyte. That Skyward Sword Switch Ooh, hey. will lock new fast travel system behind an amiibo purchase. So for the Skyward Sword version on the Switch, you need to buy the Amiibo in order to have fast travel from the upper world to the lower world, um, which is a new feature here that sounds very handy. The idea you can use it in the middle of a dungeon. You can just pop immediately back to the clouds and pop back down. But you have to spend 25 bucks for it. The thing, yeah, the thing that I should, the, the, we should specify is that, like, there is a fast travel system in the game where you go to these specific yes. statues in these locations and you can go up and down. The thing that the Amiibo lets you do is just basically bookmarks, bookmarks your location in one area, like whether it's the sky or the ground, and lets you instantly go to the other side, uh, which is a big feature, like a, a really cool thing that sh- you should not have to pay $25 for a li- what is usually a limited item because uh, these Amiibos yeah. tend to sell out pretty quickly. Uh, yeah, I think that that is oh, an interesting functionality, but something that should have been in the game to begin with, and it sucks that they're locking it behind this paywall. It's not it's gonna be interesting release. seeing speed runs Ooh. with Amiibo plus yeah. Amiibo, hundred percent. Yeah, you're totally right. They're actually going to do that. I would love it if there's like a, a game breaking thing where it's like if you fast travel in this specific location on this frame, you actually get to save your location on the other side of this like load screen, so you get to skip most of the game. I bet that would be a fun thing for Nintendo to see. To like, oh, this Amiibo <laughs> that you're having people pay for turns out it completely breaks your game. <laughs> <Psych>. <laughs> uh, Elise Favis, thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. 
Um, what would you like to plug? Where would you like to point people? Sure. Well, uh, fanbyte.com is where you can find... Well, I'll be writing there, and I'll be editing people's pieces there behind the scenes. But that's generally where you can find me and on the many podcasts that we do. Um, and this Friday, I'm actually joining the launcher team, which is the Washington Post video game team for a stream, a Mass Effect stream, with Jennifer Hale, who's oh actually going to play God. the Legendary Edition with us, which is very cool. Yeah, <laughs> and I'm very excited cool. about it. Um, and Elisa, you can I'm find a- us on our youtube page which is i think just um launcher so perfect um if uh how much would i have to like donate to the washington post to have you choose a male shepherd run for that stream <laughs> with jennifer hale that'd be a, cool a million dollars one million dollars okay i'll really consider it uh let's see coming up at minmax here on friday we have a new episode of crossfade our music podcast hosted by matt helgeson um and lizzie killian is on this Friday's episode talking about Weezer's Pinkerton. So we had to hit Pinkerton at some point here, so it's very exciting that Lizzie gets to do it. And if you don't know Lizzie Killian, uh, she founded 50CC, the PR company, and also is Jeff Cork's new boss. So it's very exciting to have that full connection. So you can check that out. Subscribe to Crossfade on your favorite podcast app. It's a standalone podcast. Also, check out The Deepest Dive for Mass Effect 1. That conversation is up now. Any help sharing that with another fan of Mass Effect in your life is appreciated. Also, as we record this, we are six new Patreon supporters away. Six from recording full commentary tracks for the extended edition Lord of the Rings trilogy. And so if you want access into the MinMax Discord, you want to unlock the podcast version of The Deepest Dive, uh, a bunch of other benefits, you can support us at any tier over on Patreon. You can help us reach that goal. The plan is to do some rotating, but for Fellowship of the Ring, it's going to be myself, Leo, and uh, best friend Ronnie recording that commentary track. So if we hit it, that is. But we are so close to hitting 2,500 supporters on Patreon. So thanks to everybody for your support and uh, making that happen. If it does, it could all crumble tomorrow. If you support it, uh, if you become a Patreon supporter, it'll be the closest we've ever been to unlocking <laughs> the new commentary track. Beautiful, surreal. <laughs> uh, and thank you to all of the Patreon supporters that support us at the $50 tier to get their name read at the end of the show, just like this, just like yours could be. I'm talking about Fixture Gaming. Call me by your game podcast. I am 8-Bit, Rainmaker.gg, Merco Rico Torino, Zachary Pluggy, Beat Number, Ian Andrew, Yuker Ritz, Jawar Hello, Real AFTV, Mark Saliga, Ludwig Roque, PrettyGoodPrinting.com, Andrew Valla, Yaro, Spiral in Your Eyes, Richard Smuts, Clint Farley, Spider Dan, Preethan Yarlagata, Clayton Meyer, Starkiller, Steve Bandad, Jesse Vitelli, and Slick Nick. Thanks so much, everybody. Be good, have fun, let's go! Let's go!